Captain's Log, Stardate, because 789. I'm Captain Britain. And I'm Orion Pirate Pat. These are the voyages of Starship Soyager, our ongoing mission to explore new Trek episodes, to seek out old Trek, both cringe and based, and to boldly go where SoyTrek.com's are stored! This is Soy Trek, the show where two Trekkies ask themselves this week, how does seven of nine equal one? Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, I failed Masso. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Today we'll be uh, watching... In and, English. Uh, obviously. Uh, today we'll be uh, watching and reviewing uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 6, Hear All, Trust Nothing, and Star Trek Voyager... Season four, episode 25, one. But before we get into that, let's dive in to what's new in the world of Trek. Yeah. We got Trek news for you. News you can use to wash away your blues. We got Trek news for you. Trek news. It was announced earlier this week that the Star Trek sequel in the Kelvin timeline, tentatively titled Star Trek Four, has been removed from Paramount's upcoming film releases. Oh, canceled! This is what cancel culture has done to us, Pat. Yeah, I, this is the toll of cancel culture. I think they probably watched that. Uh, Don't call me darling with Chris Pine, and we're just like, no. <laughs> I, I think that was more because of Harry Styles. Right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, but but I think I think Chris Pine was probably tarnished by the Harry Styles acting. <laughs> well, Harry Harry Styles spit on him. Apparently, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's the word on the street. Yeah. Well, I, you know, if we're gonna blame somebody, I'm I'm just gonna blame him. I mean, like Chris Pine's star like really rose from that whole thing for some reason though. That was a yeah. huge media event for like no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I I it was still totally haven't... manufactured. Right. Oh yeah, I think was totally. I, I still have no idea what that movie's about. I probably won't see it. I yeah, don't know. no one really cares. <laughs> um, anyway. That's like that's like about uh, us losing a potential. Because I actually I liked. I didn't care for into uh, darkness. Into darkness. Right. I did not care for it. I liked the first one. Didn't care for Into Darkness. I did like Star Trek Beyond a yeah, lot. It was pretty good. It was it was an yeah. action movie, but it was still a decent. Yeah, action I thought movie. I thought it was I thought it was very good. Yeah, and, for uh, like for like a space Fast and the Furious, it was mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, know, so. yeah. So I was actually like when I saw that they were making like a fourth film, or mm-hmm. it was on the production, I was just like, mm-hmm. shit, yeah, I'm gonna watch this bullshit. And mm-hmm. now they take it away. But you know, thankfully we got all this other Trek we can watch instead. So. <laughs> yeah. Beforehand, the project, which uh, was being produced by J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot, was set to begin filming at the end of this year and to hit theaters on December 22nd, 2023. Although all major names in the series have said they'd like to make the project, the movie's most recent director, Matt Shackman, exited the director's seat uh, in order to helm the Fantastic Four reboot just one month ago and has not mm. yet been replaced. Mm. It should be noted that this is perhaps the fourth incarnation of this project that has failed. 
obviously we had the Quentin Tarantino yeah. uh, helming this, which failed. Uh, we also had a treatment by S.J. Clarkson, which would have uh, seen Kirk reunited with his father, played mm. by uh, Chris Hemsworth, I believe. Mm. And the one that I was the most interested by far in, which was an adaptation by Fargo auteur Noah Hawley, who mm. is one of my favorite modern storytellers. Mm-hmm. He's incredible. Uh, mm. Maybe they should just get Jonathan Frakes, eh? Yeah, why not? why not? He can't, I mean, he can't fuck it up. The worst he can do is make Insurrection again. Yeah. Or maybe they're just going to give up on... They're going to the, give up. I think yeah. they are. I think they're going to give up on the Kelvin timeline, and that's mm-hmm. fine with me. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, you know, we now we have, like, uh, such a strong series, like, you know, Strange New World, that is already very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that could easily translate to film. True. And so, like, they could start making those kinds of, like, films based on that, because also that already has, like, you know... um. You know, it's introduced Kirk and has Spock already, so sure, has all the sure. has all the like the, the, the big the, the the winners, yeah, the, yeah, the, the big names, mm, the big names. So like, yeah, just make start making those movies. Although they don't have a bones, I mean, yeah. But if they just put uh, fucking Carl Urban in there as bones, I would be <laughs> yeah. fine. With I did, I did like Carl he Urban. Such bones. a good bones. He's yeah. a great bones. Like, yeah, I like him in everything. He's he's he's, he's a yeah. great actor. He's mm-hmm. really like he's a just a great actor. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the shit out of him. He was. Honestly, one of the greatest casting decisions ever made was casting him as Judge Dredd. Oh yeah, <laughs> he is perfect in that role. Mm-hmm. I, I would have actually. Li- I I think what they should have done is combine, um, Carl Urban Judge Dredd, but put him in Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd's movie. Oh no no no! So <laughs> so that but but Sylvester Stallone is now the villain. Yes. Yeah, that would be. Honestly, amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I am the law. <laughs> <laughs> make sure that that line still stays in. <laughs> law. <laughs> uh, moving on this week in Trek news, it was reported by Giant Freaking Robot uh, that one of their trusted and proven sources has told them that a Hikaru Sulu Star Trek series is in development for Paramount Plus mm-hmm. and is very early stages. Uh, it is still unclear when the series will take place and what version of Sulu we'll be getting. Oh, yeah. Uh, personally, I think it'd be cool as USS Excelsior Sulu. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there's always the option to have John Cho from the Kelvin timeline, mm. who does a great job of playing him in the movies. Yeah. Although they just made him gay for no reason. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's fine. It's just like, apparently Sulu hated that decision because he's like, why? Like... They're just doing it because I'm gay. And I'm like, yeah, they're just doing it because fucking George Takei's <laughs> gay. Like, make, make, like, Spock's way gayer than fucking Sue ever was. Like, make him gay. Yeah. Like, make, make someone else gay. Just make everyone gay. Make, yeah, there you go. Like, everyone <laughs> in the future is gay. Yeah. I like that. I kind of feel that's where, where what, what, like, the future should be. Just oh, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone's getting over it. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the more, the more, people try girl cock every day <laughs> the more people are like oh no it's pretty sick <coughs> and then like mm-hmm. and like a a, a a switch is flipping mm-hmm. on society and like the world is just becoming a better place <laughs> i say if you've never sucked a girl's dick mm-hmm. like you know try it and yeah. uh if you're into it like you're gonna live a better life i'm just gonna tell you that right just now. give it a shot just give it give it the old college try but uh, with uh, the Sully series, I think that is like, uh, you know, depending on wherever it takes place, it could deal with his like, you know, early days uh, or in. But, you know, still have somehow 
incorporate George Takei in some capacity. I would actually, I would be fine with them incorporating mm-hmm. George Takei, even though I'm not really into them usually bringing back like the old decaying yeah. actors. Like George Takei was always great as as Sulu. And yeah, I mean that, that's what the Kelvin uh, movies like. I always thought it was kind of weird that they had Wedge Leonard Nimoy in. Yeah, right, and but, only Leonard Nimoy. Yeah, but that that's fine because everyone loves Leonard Nimoy. And it was funny that um, that uh, uh, William Shatner expressed interest and in, um, also being in it, and they were like, "No, <laughs> yeah, you don't have favorite nations anymore, asshole." Fuck yeah, off. yeah. Like, uh, in do, do you, you hold no power here? <laughs> so, so do you know why uh, Leonard Nimoy ended up doing a film? He was sick and needed. Yeah, he needed health insurance. <laughs> yeah, that's so sad. That's the fuck. It's the fuckity. It's so fucked up. Yeah, it's like a it's fail, failed country. And then he died. Yeah. Like, yeah, everything about that story is the worst, mm-hmm. saddest thing of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the least Star Trek story of all time. It's <laughs> yeah. so fucking fucked up, man. Um. Yeah, what, I mean, what what era of Sulu do you think you'd want? Do you, do you uh, want Kelvin? I, do you want... I, I think, like, uh, if they do, uh, because, you know, in regards to, like, you know, Strange New Worlds, like, he would probably be probably just in uh in the academy or possibly getting out so that yeah that, yeah i mean if so they, that if could be a it, good way to do a crossover with um strange new worlds or something it, i mean if they are this is an interesting idea it could be them pursuing the starfleet academy show they were talking mm-hmm. about i would be totally cool with a hikaru sulu at starfleet academy yeah um and then and then he could like somehow like visit you know oh, enterprise God. or something and then sulu in fucking san francisco <laughs> in the fucking like you know like the the twenty twenty fifties maybe twenty sixties mm-hmm. yeah twenty three sixties or twenty two sixties rather oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. because yeah he's being he's, he's from San Francisco and that's where yeah, Starfleet is. Academy yeah is, exactly so. so he's probably fucking you know yeah it makes make sense yeah to have a have a whole show based you know be the second you know. Well, you know, we we, we only that? have a, we only have Full House that's based in San Francisco. We need another another show based in San Francisco. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of shows. Based yeah, in San it could Francisco. be. I'm just I'm I'm being hyperbolic. Yeah, yeah, you are. There's there's, there's totally a ton of uh, fucking no. All I think of all I think of though is Full House. Well, yeah, because it's got the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Yeah. Intro. Yeah. yeah. It makes it makes very sure you know exactly where they are during that <laughs> intro. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine those like? Yeah, pe- you know, people who live there now, and like just seeing that massive house they live in that fits. Like, how many people were living at that house at one point in Full House? Uh, so they had the three kids. Uh, they had Joey, and I think uh, so. They had fucking um, Jesse, Jesse, and his wife, and, and their the and twins. the twins. So and then Danny. So we have at least and nine. then Comet. Well, Comet's a dog. Yeah, but Comet takes up space. Comet's a big dog. Bullet takes up space because it's a car. So yeah, they had a they had a house that fit what nine people at least. I mean, but they had to convert the attic to fit Jesse and his family. Remember? Yeah, but the attic was massive. The attic was fucking enormous. Yeah, holy yeah, shit. that was so. And that so, yeah, that's wild. Like, mm-hmm. imagine like you know how expensive it is there to live there now. Right. And, and just in, in Joey lived in the garage too. Yeah. And Joey lived they, in the garage. They, they reconverted the garage. And that's wild that he lived, just pretty much lived in the living room for, for the, for the first season, uh, the first two right. seasons. Yeah, yeah. 
Sorry, this is now a full house podcast. <laughs> I've honestly uh, already did it with Scott back in like 2008 or 2009. Oh, really? The DTRM podcast. We, oh, used to, we used to be in a band called Danny Tanner's Rainbow Militia. It's a <laughs> long story that we will not talk about on this podcast. <laughs> Moving on in Trek news. Finally in Trek news. It was announced this week that Deep Space Nine is getting a sequel. Fuck yeah. Of sorts. No. IDW Comics announced a comic series that features Captain Benjamin Sisko captaining the USS Thesus, uh, accompanied by Dr. Beverly Crusher and uh, Lieutenant Commander Data, among others, um, is in the works. Which uh, got me thinking, do you think they'd ever let Data be a captain? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there was really? that ep- there was that episode, uh, remember, where he uh, was a stand-in captain. Yeah, and, and, he faced, command... and he faced the android uh, racism. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. <laughs> was That wasn't Pulaski, was it? Was it Pulaski then? No, it was like some other guy uh, that was like... That's right. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, well, no, because... No, I'm thinking a measure of a man. Yeah, no, it was like some other guy that was just like, this guy's my captain, and oh. and uh, and then Data like proved himself to him, and the guy mm-hmm. felt stupid. Yeah, I think they would let Data be a captain. Interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but also, I don't know. I'm not totally thrilled about like a comic taking that on and having those characters for some reason together, which mm. I'm like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> fine. But it's like mm. I feel like you're just kind of shoehorning like some fan favorites together. Yeah, that really don't make sense in a fleet that has like you know a thousand ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah got to put put them all together. Yeah, it's like doing like the Star Wars thing. Right? Oh yeah, everyone's <laughs> got to be a Skywalker. Or Everyone knows each other. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big galaxy out there, though, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or uh, as they uh, as they say on uh, the USA Network, it's a jungle out there. It's a jungle <laughs> out there. Dun 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 dun. This is now a monk cast. That takes oh. place in San Francisco. You oh. dumb motherfucker. I never. Monk really... takes place in San Francisco. <laughs> I never watched... Son of a bitch. I never really watched Monk. Pat, you motherfucking piece <laughs> of shit. Monk takes place in goddamn San Francisco. You know, a cab includes Monk. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I gotta think some, rethink some of my life decisions. <laughs> I know it's sad. Well, okay, I'm gonna compartmentalize this and <laughs> save it for my therapist. Yeah. Uh, we we have some new Trek this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what uh, what Trek was new this week? It was Lower Decks. It most certainly was. So let's take a trip below. Let's talk about Trek, baby. Let's talk about Trek. Hey, we got Lower Decks, season three, episode six this week. Uh, here, all trust nothing. Uh, released today, I guess. No, yesterday. Sorry, Thursday, yeah. September 29th, twenty twenty two. Written by Grace Parajani who uh, is apparently written for Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites before. Mm. Makes sense. And directed by uh, Phil Mark Sagadraka. Interesting name there. I'm, I wonder yeah. if he's a Dracula. Sagadraka? <laughs> I bet he's a vampire. Yeah, This I mean, was directed by a vampire. That is true because, like, you know, Dra- um, Dracula it's, does like to ha- choose, like, names that are, like, slow, like, you know. Slightly. Like, hint, yeah, hint, yeah. yeah, like Alucard, like, yeah. Mm, Alucard, that's Dracula spelled backwards. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's Sega Draca, like the Sega Genesis. Dracula. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I think he's he's really pulling one over on everybody there. <laughs> he's just in the animation studio. They're like, uh, oh, wow, what's, uh, looks like you, have you been coloring with red ink? And he's like, what? You have it, like, all over your hands and face. Oh, oops, yes, red ink, wiping it off furiously. It's like, I'm from Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> Castlevania? Is that a, that that where it's like it's next to Transylvania. All right, we start. <laughs> we start with a uh, Castlevania's log. Uh, Captain's log. Start eight five eight four five six dot two. It's Freeman, by the way. Uh, the Cerritos is providing support to the Vancouver. Captain Wen will be reopening post-war trade negotiations with the Karema, a mercantile species from the Gamma Quadrant. While I will be overseeing a delivery of goodwill gifts from the Alpha Quadrant, which will hopefully sweeten the deal. And uh, right here we see a bunch of different planetary liquors being labeled to be transported mm-hmm. on, in the uh, Cerrito cargo bay, including like Romulan ale, like mm-hmm. Dorian something. Um, next we go to the bridge. We're on the bridge of the Cerritos, and there's an <laughs> incoming transmission for Captain Freeman from Vice Admiral Buenamigo, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, translated... To Espanol means good friend. <laughs> good friend. Admiral Goodfriend. Um, I actually had a, a buddy, well, a guy I worked with named Robert Goodfriend. That's awesome. Yeah. He was a pretty good friend. I liked him. Hmm. Nice, nice guy. I knew a guy named Timmy Butts. Oh, really? Was he a good butt? <laughs> he was really weird. Like, no. he was like, Did he I, like butts? He was like a regular at this deli I worked at, and he would order the weirdest sandwiches. Like, <laughs> he, he only liked french fries uh, cooked halfway. No. And so he liked them like they were like kind of cold. It was like it was like the weirdest thing. Like he would he would like watch me and tell me when to bring them up and cuz he liked them just kind of like half cooked like al dente french fries. It was seriously disgusting. This is completely unhinged. <laughs> yeah, it is completely unhinged. I, I don't accept this. this is this is like a person in like a fucking Tim Robbins novel. This is like, <laughs> yeah, and his name was Timmy Butts. I don't like this at all. If you're out there, homie. <laughs> you know, keep, repre- <laughs> keep representing the fucking being a fucking weirdo guy. Yeah, I have a, like the weirdest palate I've ever heard of. No, so, um, <laughs> al dente French fries. Al Jesus dente Christ, French fries. That's that's insane. Yeah, I feel like that's like that's like burned in my memory. Like it'll be yeah. like what I think of when I die. <laughs> I, I could never fry anything ever again. Like I'd, I'd like probably be triggered. Like looking at French. Yeah, fries. it was only. He only wanted ten of them. What? <laughs> yeah. He'd only like he'd only want ten French fries al dente. No, <laughs> this is like this has now become a character on Monk. Yeah, it's a jungle out there. <laughs> bum, bum, but um, which takes place in San Francisco. Oh man, you son of a bitch! <sighs> All right. Um. So the admiral, uh, Admiral Buenamigo, informs Freeman uh, that there has been a change of plans with the USS Vancouver. It has been rerouted to the Hasparga system to assist in the evacuation of a colony threatened by a brown hole, which Freeman contends is not a real thing. <laughs> oh, it's a real thing. All right. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> I mean, both of us just like totally blew out brown holes right oh, before yeah. this podcast. Because yeah. I think we both knew we'd probably, you know, <laughs> make make my black chair into a brown hole mm-hmm. if we didn't do that, which was probably wise on both of our parts. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a podcast, by the way, where we, where we, uh, we, we talk about if we need to poop or not yeah. before we, we, we start recording, which mm-hmm. is wise because beforehand we haven't done that. And it's, it's led to some pretty, 
pretty uncomfortable <laughs> situations that you didn't know about, but I shit my pants four times on the podcast. <laughs> Moving on. Also, you've heard of like fighting weight, you know, where like, you know, wrestlers, like they'll make sure to like. Oh, know, yeah. Flip, drop, drop weight. Dra- drop weight. You know, it's like the same with podcasting where you have to make sure you drop that excess weight before you go in. So you're at your peak form oh, and your peak, peak, peak excellence. So. Yeah, this is why I go into like a sweat lodge for like two hours before every every podcast. I've been wanting to go. I found out there's a banya near me. A, ba- a banya? Yeah. That, that's just Mexican for bathroom. No, that's a Russian. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, it's also his, uh, rather Espanol <laughs> yeah. for, for bathroom. Or that's mm. banyo. Oh, I guess banyo would be yeah. the, the, the female. It's, it, but it's like a sweat lodge. I guess they give you like pickles and shit there and like or hot tea and hot tea. and, and Pickle, yeah. Pickles and tea is the most Russian snack <laughs> possibly and they have those uh those yeah. little those weird uh sweat lodge hats i was thinking about going just seeing like how it yes. goes we have all you can eat borscht and rice borscht <laughs> and brown rice buffet very they, they enjoy do, they do serve food but i'm sure there's not a lot that i can eat like because you know not a lot of, it's probably not vegan friendly but the pickles though i'll fucking crush some pickles while sweating my ass off oh i love pickles yeah what, what's uh rank your pickles the top three pickles like uh, sizes flavors whatever like for me, my top, my top is the uh, the sweet snackers. Mm. Love the sweet dill snackers. I little, little I don't like boys. I don't like sweet pickles. I'm all about the dill and garlic. That's good. That's good. I, yeah. I also like the spicy pickles a lot. Oh, love, spicy pickles. Love yeah, a spicy snacker. Mm-hmm. A big big fan. Yeah, I like anything that's like very crisp. I don't like. You a big uh, fan of the Grillos? Grillos, yes. Grillos makes a good pickle. Oh, there's a Grillos uh, hat and a barbarian. Like a one character is wearing a Grillo's hat for most of the part, most of the movie. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry, that was a spoiler. Yeah, it's also a, like a callback to nothing. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a callback to a conversation we have not had on this podcast. That's true. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're speaking to a, you're speaking. Sp- we have people listening. You know, <laughs> we're not just having a conversation, Pat. <laughs> I forget sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's cool information for me. Yeah, but it's like. There's context here. Yeah, there's context there. Sorry <laughs> about that. Thank, thank you. Just, for, just edit that out, Bridge. Just edit that out. No, no, I have no, no editing here. <laughs> we don't do, I don't fuck with editing anymore. You don't fuck with editing. No, no. it's too too much stress. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, so the Vancouver has been rerouted uh, because of Brown Hole, and Freeman contends it's not a real thing. Uh, so the Cerritos will proceed to their d- destination. But Freeman will be doing the negotiations instead of when the captain of the Vancouver. The Admiral tells Freeman that this is one of their best hopes to heal scars from the Dominion War and improve relations in the Gamma Quadrant, which at this point, the Dominion War was like five, ten years ago, maybe mm-hmm. something like that in this timeline. So the Cerritos drops out of warp and beholds none other than Tarek Nor, Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. uh, complete with the Deep Space Nine music. Which I'm gonna, I'm not gonna lie. As soon as that happened, I had some feelings. I'm like, yeah. it was great animation and just like the the redo. They redid the song, I think, with like a modern mm-hmm. production, and it sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And it it just hit me with the feels, and I was like, this fucking rules already. Um, uh, but then like immediately, Shax calls it a tacky Kardashian fascist eyesore, <laughs> which really caught me off guard. And I yeah. just, it, I, I like guffawed at that. That was really funny. Yeah, he's not wrong. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, yeah. Like, but I, like, I do like the, I do like the way uh, these Space Nine looks. I love the look of it. But I can see yeah, like the him. pylons. I mean, look, it looks evil. Which yeah, is yeah. Great. yeah, yeah. It does like it does 
you know, and if I were a Bajoran, I'd be like, yeah, I fucking hate yeah, how fuck this place. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. It'd be like if there was just like a floating swastika <laughs> out in the out in space. <laughs> It'd just be like, like, it's like fuck that place. Uh, deep, deep space forty four. Yeah. Deep space fourteen eighty eight. Deep space fourteen eighty eight, and be like, oh, no, thank you. No, but no, we renamed it. We renamed no. it. It's- the, the, so there's a bar there that is frequented by the proud Ferengis. Yeah. <laughs> Called like Shreks. <laughs> I hate this idea. But yeah, but it, it, it's, it's, I can see that being the equivalent of what, what yeah, uh, Shax yeah. is feeling. Absolutely. It. It's like when I look at like the White House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Captain Freeman excuses herself to go find more information on the Karema um, in preparation for negotiations and tells the crew to buy her more time. Uh, Ransom has the uh, navigator fly around the pylons like they're in awe of them to buy some time. And they do that just like the intro of DS9. And mm-hmm. it kind of shows the whole thing. And it's great. Mm-hmm. It just made me feel very good. But it was also a fun gag. Yeah. Um. And then they finish doing it. And Ransom's like, they just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Yep. <laughs> Opening credits. 220. Really Honestly, probably my favorite cold open of the series, except mm-hmm. for when they're comparing like uh, how the different warp engines sound. I really like that one too. Mm-hmm. That one was in the first season, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like just super funny. Loved it. Um, great hit of nostalgia. Like this got me high as fuck on nostalgia, like mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Oh yeah! Once I saw that the they they're visiting Deep Space Nine this episode, I was like, "Yes!" Yeah, I, I got like, I got super because yeah, they announced it like on Tuesday or something. Mm-hmm. I just like I immediately just started sounding. I, <laughs> I found I found uh, the nearest like little object I could stick in my pee hole, which was actually oddly enough my um my weed vape over there, mm. and I just like I mean I, I hit I did, that dude. <laughs> I hope hope you hit it with your butthole. <laughs> It's, it's it's kinda like we fucked then, right? Okay, that okay, now I'm I'm now I'm now seeing what that taste was. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been I've been trying to get rid of that taste for a minute now. Yeah. 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 It was I mean, so so it's it's uh OG Kush, mm-hmm. but also with some um smegma. <laughs> gotcha. So, okay. Some some of my smegma. All right. All yeah. right. Okay. Well, so uh, probably some blood too. I mean, the thing's teeth. a little. You know what? No, <laughs> no, no. You stay there in that chair. You, <laughs> you just enjoy that taste, Patrick. <sighs> um, bitch. <laughs> so, um, the Cerritos is docking, and Tendi, Rutherford, and Boimler are all stoked to visit DS Nine, which is an iconic location at this point. Tendi mm-hmm. says she bets they have, e- uh, they even have a quarks. And Boimler says it's the original Quarks, <laughs> a Mariner from her bunk. How or- many? Uh, how many times have you been asked where the original Starbucks is? A lot, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know every every time I'm I, if I'm walking if I, when I was ever walking downtown Seattle, like everyone's like, "Where's the original Starbucks?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, "I don't even fucking know." But yeah, unfortunately, I do know, and I'm, I'm friendly. Is it the so. one in the Pike Place? It is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'd always be like, oh, it's that one. Yep. Yeah. Good. Like, uh, but yeah, it was like I, when that when uh, that part happened, like it's the original Quarks. It just made me immediately think of like being asked by Starbucks. Yeah, being asked by a million people every day, like, where's the original Starbucks? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Mariner from her bunk wonders if they're really that excited for a franchise restaurant and calls them a bunch of tourists. 
She says she's going to just stay on the ship and relax instead. Suddenly, Jennifer, Mariner's girlfriend, peeks out from her bunk and asks if that means that Mariner is free for the day. In chorus, uh, Rutherford, Tendy, and Boimler say, Hi, Jennifer. Uh, Jennifer says she's hanging with her friends and she's been dying to have Mariner get to know them. Mariner says that she's going to give the others a tour of DS9 and without her, they might end up in a mirror universe with Smiley. Uh, <laughs> Harkening back to uh, the uh, O'Briens. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mirror, mirror counterpart. Indeed, indeed. Uh, they say they're fine and they have maps and hold up some, some pad maps. And Jennifer says that Castro is hosting a salon today. You're going to love it. Then kisses Mariner on the cheek and leaves. Mariner groans, and Tendy says, meeting the friends is serious. Mariner's afraid they'll be uncool and judgy. As she already hates, they call their hangouts salons, <laughs> as though they're Hemingway, which was a great joke, but I don't think it's a great joke for like 300 years in the future i don't think anyone will give a fuck about hemingway yeah yeah well they're all into classic literature and stuff i i always kind of hated that about star Trek. <laughs> yeah. like at this point like i used to think that was cool but now that like i'm older and like i'm, I'm done reading the classics mm-hmm. i'm like no that's that's kind of like fedora pilled like oh well, it's also because like it's it's a uh... It's a free IP that they can use. That that is actually true. That's, because like, yeah, they can't use anything that you know they have to like pay for. <laughs> that, yeah, that'd be so great if like uh, fucking like Winnie the Pooh could now appear into it, and then Ooh, they can, and I think Mickey Mouse is of like two years from now or something. Uh, three. Uh, well, Disney aggressively like keeps defending. They do. So, but, like, but there's like a, a few years from now, like Mickey Mouse is going to. Hmm. Like potentially be in it. So, well, we'll see. I don't think Disney will allow it. <laughs> That'd be incredible if like that got crushed. But I mean, it's not like they need Mickey Mouse. Like, no, and Marvel. really, Mickey Mouse isn't like a really cool character anyway. Like, he's no one cares about. I mean, yeah. he's he's great for merchandising yeah. at, at their Disney World locations, and that's like it. Yeah, like, but no like, but gonna... like, he's not like a cartoon character. Yeah, like, people buy. It. I guess people buy a ton of Mickey Mouse merch though because yeah. it's a Disney symbol. Yeah. And Disney adults are fucking weird. <laughs> they are. See the guys doing a, a four-hour, probably, Star Trek podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, well, that's that's how the tier goes. Like, we're just right above. Star Trek podcast guys are right above Disney adults. Oh, yeah. On the, so, yeah. On the creepy weirdo uh, glacier or fucking iceberg. Yeah. yeah I mean, okay. like, the, like, Disney adults are at the bottom. They're at 100. We're yeah. at 99. Uh, and that's, then, that's, then there's a whole fair. bunch of other people above us. Yeah. You know, I've got 99 problems, but uh, <laughs> yeah. not being a creep ain't one. <coughs> uh, so they say they'll get along fine without Mariner as long as she's not bossy like she is with them. Mariner says she's not bossy, and the others crack up, laughing as they walk away. Mariner <laughs> groans again. Boimler, Rutherford, and Tendy make it onto DS9, and it's even more Cardassian than Boimler imagined. Uh, they're in awe. Morn is sitting at the bar drinking something. Mm-hmm. We see the bridge of the DS9, and none other than Kira Norris, now as a colonel, watches as a ship comes through the wormhole just as Freeman, Shax, and Ransom enter. The music on this program is great. Like, mm-hmm. this this whole episode has great music. And, mm-hmm. like, kudos to the composer. I, I should have written it down because they keep on doing an exemplary job for this. Mm-hmm. Like, this, 
this by far has the best music of any current Star Trek series, mm-hmm. which is wild to me. Yeah. But whatever. I'm totally down with it. I love mm-hmm. it. I love it. Keep doing it. Um, so Kira greets them, and Freeman asks if she was informed about the Vancouver. Kira says it's not Starfleet if they don't throw a few curveballs, at which point she unzips her pants and takes out her testicles. <laughs> <laughs> That uh, caught me off guard. Yeah, me too. I was like, <laughs> but it made it, but it made her point. It did, and you know what? Kira being trans <laughs> and having a giant cock in big sweaty balls not only makes sense, <laughs> but fucking rocks. Fucking rocks. <laughs> fucking rocks. All right. Um, yeah, I am glad that uh, they were able to get uh, not a visitor back to reprise her role as Kira. Right. Right. I was just like, oh shit. I'm I'm glad they were able to display Bajoran testicles yeah. on a TV 14 program. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know they. I'm glad that uh, so so that. Well, the rules have changed. They're allowing more stuff through. Like I think like the, like rumor how like they changed it. So I think they're allowed like one fuck, and like some shows in TV 14. Really? Yeah. Well, that's I good. think I think so. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like uh, PG 13. They're allowed one fuck. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and just and so along with like the fuck, they're also allowed like. Balls, but no penis. So, something I've <laughs> never understood. Something that is crazy and weird and arbitrary. Mm. TV 14, PG 13. There is an arbitrary line somewhere in 13 and 14 mm-hmm. where media becomes, like, more or less acceptable to watch. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand it. Like, I mean, the whole thing is obviously a weird contrived hierarchy made to, like, do weird shitty business thing and like bury things if you want mm-hmm. to uh with like you know basically hollywood politics but it's like why well also it's like i mean those are two also that one's for tv the other's for movies right but yeah b- but why is there that arbitrary line between tv and movies mm. i mean tv 14 weirdly enough like tv 14 stuff i feel is more restrictive than a pg-13 movie because up till mm-hmm. recently you haven't been able to say fuck in a TV 14 thing. Yeah. Or you've always been able to have one fuck in a PG 13 film. Mm-hmm. There's not, and they don't really utilize that fuck in a lot of PG 13. They really movies. don't. No, no. They yeah. used to back in like the nineties. There was always a fuck. Yeah. Every PG 13 movie yeah. had a fucking fuck. Mm-hmm. It was great. And like, mm-hmm. you knew where that fuck was. Cause it was <laughs> a moment. Like it was always like a comedic, like, Oh fuck. Mm-hmm. And then someone dies or something, you know, it was, yeah, we love. That. That's why I I understand. Um, even for like uh, shows that are, I mean, everything's now streaming, so it just feels weird to have like the rating system still. It is very weird. But I mean, but I mean, I, I guess it makes sense because you know, I mean, for the, her parents who have kids, like yeah, they it can, really should be like, yeah, like not like for kids, not for kids. Yeah, it should be yeah. that easy. Like, and other than that, like parents should you know be aware of the media they're watching and like you know do research on it. Yeah. You know, like if they want to take for some, you know, they you can't fucking let companies be responsible for your parenting. And if you make that mistake, you're being a bad parent. <laughs> like, come on, take some goddamn responsibility. Raise your goddamn kids. Don't be a wharf. <laughs> be your Kieran Reese. Take someone else's fucking kid. <laughs> raise it in your your uterus and pop it out for them. Mm-hmm. That's some sick ass shit right there. It was yeah. Have it have it teleported into your uterus. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. By Julian Bashir. Thanks, Julian. <laughs> Thanks, Jules. We appreciate you. That was a bold move. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, 
So music on this program is great. Uh, Kira greets Freeman and asks if she was informed about the Van. Uh, Freeman asks if she was informed about, about the Vancouver. Kira says it's not Starfleet if they don't throw a few curveballs. Where after she actually picks up a baseball, mm. she doesn't actually pull out her testicles. Yeah. That was a lie. Yeah, that I I call a joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, she she does a she does a Cisco just like yeah. he did in the last program we watched, where mm-hmm. he's like really dropped Top the ball and like holds up the baseball in mm-hmm. dramatic fashion. Yeah. So Freeman introduces Ransom and starts to introduce Shax, but Kira says she already knows this scarred up old barrel bug. And the two embrace. Uh, they were in the resistance together, the Bajoran resistance, obviously, and saved each other's lives multiple times, uh, leading to an argument between the two where each of them insists that they owe, they owe the other one for saving their lives. Very Bajoran, very cool. Mm-hmm. And exactly what I expected to happen if these two characters were, were together. Mm-hmm. Um, the Karema ship docks with DS9, and they all walk together through a hall. One of them asks if they can even do business uh, with the Alpha Quadrant and wonders how they even won the Dominion War. The trade minister here, Korzak, says he doesn't care, and as long as there's a chance at making a profit, he'll hear them out. And should diplomacy fail, they have a backup plan. Uh, and one of his assistants opens his like coat to reveal a pulsating light, kind of like bomb or something, like mm-hmm. in his jacket. Um, yeah, very, I, I thought, like, introducing them like this, I'm like, so they're basically the Ferengi of the Gamma Quadrant? Mm-hmm. So, meanwhile... But a little bit more, like, uh, like ready to go to action. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, a little a little more, yeah, aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, less business aggressive, a little more... Mm-hmm. Yeah, aggressive aggressive. <laughs> actionable aggressive. So, mm-hmm. meanwhile, over at Quark's, uh, Quark is taking a selfie with a couple fans, saying he loves his fans for a small fee, of course. Uh, Kira approaches and introduces Quark to Captain Freeman, Ransom, and Shax. Quark expresses how much he appreciates Starfleet and how he's managed to expand his business to 21 locations across the Alpha Quadrant, thanks to them. Uh, Ransom asks how that's possible, as replicators can make any drink. But Quark insists that Starfleet replicators are outdated in his unique design called the Quark 2000, mm-hmm. which seems outdated by... 400 years yeah (laughs) uh, gives drinks a special zing that he's been personally crafting for years he asked freeman if there uh if uh there might be interest in franchising at starfleet academy yeah and what do you think the difference is do you think he just like the quark 2000 probably like imbues it with like thc or something like just something like uh, give it that extra uh difference between like Normal replica- replicators and like the Quark 2000. No, it's his cum. It's his cum. <laughs> it's definitely his cum. We know that. You know, whenever anyone. It's a little zesty. Yeah. Whenever anyone on Star Trek is like, huh, yeah, it's my special ingredient, Mr. Vulcan, <laughs> or something, it's always cum. Yeah. Every single time. Some sort of, some something that's produced by, by the skin <laughs> or flesh. Yes. Yes. It, it cometh of flesh. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so, uh, Quark asks Freeman if there might be any interest in franchising to Starfleet Academy, and she says no, just as Boimler, Tendi, and Rutherford enter the bar. Uh, Boimler sees the Dabo table and gets excited, as he thought the game was illegal throughout the Federation. <laughs> Tendi warns him that the table is probably rigged, but bold Boimler goes anyway, 
as fortune favors the bold, he says as he drops his coin purse. <laughs> Just then, another Starfleet officer, uh, who is also Orion and wearing one of the awesome DS9 uniforms with like, mm-hmm. gray shoulders, um, notices Tendi and introduces himself, never having seen a fellow Orion Starfleet officer. He introduces himself as Mesk and seems to be familiar with Tendi's name and asks if she's from the north side of the planet but she doesn't seem to be too forthcoming. Instead, she deflects and asks what it's like to work on DS9, but he continues talking about Orion's being shady and shows her his Orion multi-key, which he got uh, as a religious exemption to wear on his uniform, which is some kind of pirate tool that mm-hmm. Orion's use. Yeah, like a little multi-tool. But... Yeah, yeah, with like a little knife and a lock pick and mm-hmm. fun pirate stuff like that. Mesk says uh, he just got off duty and asks if they want to if they want the grand tour. And although Tendi is hesitant, Rutherford volunteers them excitedly. Mesk continues to talk about him and uh, Tendi as though they're very piratey Orions. Mm-hmm. Back on Cerritos, Mariner enters the party of Jennifer's friend, and everybody is dressed in sweatpants and sweatshirts. The host, uh, Castro, says she doesn't even mind Mariner so late since they finally get to meet her. And Mariner walks up to Jennifer and says she didn't get the memo that it's a sweatpants kind of party since she's still in her Starfleet uniform. Mm -hmm. And one of Jennifer's friends insists it's not a party, it's a salon. (laughs) And the wardrobe is always casual. Uh, Her friends there call her Jenny, even though she hates it. Mm. Castro tells everybody to grab a wick for candle dipping, which Mariner doesn't seem too thrilled about. And Mariner says she's going to make a pit stop before the dipping and goes to grab a drink. An old alcoholic drink, simpleholic <laughs> drink. Uh, one of the officers comes up to Mariner and uh, asks if they can talk about Boimler. Mariner says no, uh, he's not reverse aging. He just doesn't get enough vitamins, which I think was a really, <laughs> really great reference to uh, mm-hmm. a TNG episode. Actually, a TNG and a TOS episode. Mm-hmm. They both have reverse aging. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, God, I feel like maybe there's reverse aging in like almost every Star Trek at some point mm. or something like it. I mean, uh, Rascals is one of my favorite episodes. I love, yeah, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that is, that's, that is just stupid. I mean, it's great, but it's yeah. stupid. But all the kid, all the kid actors that they they're get actually to play, great. they're great. They're like perfect. They're, yeah. Like, they do great impressions. They the do. Like it's, it's surprising. Yeah. yeah. But, but it is funny that like the clothes get small on them. That is super because, funny. Because, like, what, do the clothes de-age as well? I, I love that, like, <laughs> I love that, like, each child got their own, like, sp- like their own custom uniform for that. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't get Riker a new uniform for fucking generations. Yeah. So they just made him wear fucking Cisco's. <laughs> it's like, what? <clears throat> Weird priorities, man. Um, <laughs> so, um... Castro, candles, yeah. Um, So he's not de-aging. And the officer instead asks if Boimler's single. And another one says his purple hair is so sexy. Mariner pours herself the entire container. (laughs) Back on DS9, Freeman and her team, uh, along with Kira, arrive in a conference room where the Karema are waiting, immediately complaining about Captain Nguyen's absence and doubts they can even continue. Freeman says this is understandable, but unfortunate, 
is they brought some fine gifts, which entices the trade ambassador. Mm. Meanwhile, Shax and Kira continue to argue who is indebted to who for saving <laughs> whose life. Back with Tendi and Rutherford, they're getting the tour from the Mesk, or sorry, from Mesk, the Orion, and Rutherford points out O'Brien's dartboard and a Bajoran food court. <laughs> Mesk asks Tendi if her parents approved of her being in Starfleet and says that his family wanted him to take over the family business, which he insinuates is the pirate business. <laughs> uh, and I'm not talking about illegally downloading films. Mm-hmm. Rutherford gets excited and runs off um, as he sees uh, the, the second floor and wants to dangle his feet off like he sees in the, the hall of videos. Yeah, Nog and Jake's hang out. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, and he runs off uh, and leaves Mesk and Tendi alone. And Mesk uh, asks... Uh, so, what's the first ship you ever stole, Ma? Which is actually a great line, mm-hmm. especially in delivery. Yeah. Um, she insists she doesn't do that kind of thing, and when he insists, she gets angry. Freeman suddenly pages them and says they have some pallets that need to be taken to the Karema ship, and Tendi enthusiastically volunteers both her and Rutherford. She calls him... But he says he wants to have a heart-to-heart with the junior reporter on the mm-hmm. second deck, which is obviously a great homage to Jake. Mm-hmm. Um, which I want to say, uh, uh, the seventh rule, the fucking Ciroc Lifton podcast. Mm-hmm. I want to say they uh, recently did a watch along with like some other characters from DS Nine mm-hmm. on this episode, which I'm definitely interested in watching. I think mm-hmm. that'd be funny. that would be cool. Mm-hmm. So back in Quark's bar, Boimler is on a roll playing Dabo. <laughs> a Ferengi in charge of the table tells him he's having beginner's luck, especially for a man with a coin purse. Uh, Boimler, bold Boimler, calls it a clutch and continues his streak. Uh, over with Tendi and Rutherford, they're loading some Romulan ale into the Karema ship when suddenly Mesk appears, having had himself reassigned to work security for them. He and Rutherford are both excited, but Tendi is quietly indignant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We go back to the Cerritos, and they're telling stories and poems to the sound of bongo music, and Jennifer says Castro really nailed the theme of the party, which was personal battlefields. <laughs> Mariner agrees and calls the party her personal battlefield. Castro then invites Mariner to stand up and uh, speak her truth, but she declines, to which Castro says she thinks her intention is to disrespect her salon. Mariner says that's not the case. Castro says that Jenny was right and that Mariner does love being contrary and asks another officer to go next. The other officer accepts and takes off her robe, uh, revealing a maroon bodysuit. And she says she's doing a dance called the Kobayashi Maroon, and there's <laughs> no right way to dance it. <laughs> We go back to DS9, and Kira is showing the Karema around, but they seem unimpressed with a tailor shop and some uh, tchotchke kiosks. I don't, I don't know what those are. Tchotchkes are just like, um, you know, just like you go to a gift shop and they just have like bull thumb bullshit. Oh. Oh, Joni loves tchotchke. Yeah. Kind of tchotchke. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, you know, tchotchkes, yeah, you go to a gift shop and it's just like some useless piece of garbage and you're just like, oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. So our merch. Yeah, merch. Yeah. Our, our merch specifically. Our, our merch specifically. Soytrek.com. Yeah. Uh, Soytrek.com. Soytrek.com. Uh, Merchandising. Merchandising. <laughs> but uh, 
I would I would do wish they maybe saw Garrick or something like have a little. Was yogurt the original Ferengi? There's there's the mm. question of the episode, right? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> anyway. I did like I did like uh, the um, the quark merch, like you know you could see, and I I did think like uh, there was like a toy quark that you could see inside of his uh, merch shop mm-hmm. that did look like the toy yogurt. Ooh, yeah, and then of course, then also I, the, I used to drive a toy yogurt. Am I right? Toy yogurt. Am I right? <laughs> high five, high five. Go fuck yourself. Uh, Go fuck yourself. But I did also also I like the little like uh, the uh, like the Mickey Mouse type ears, but they were Ferengi ears. Oh yeah, that that <laughs> would be some great merch to make. Oh my god, that would rule. Oh, we got to figure out how to make those. Oh, if we knew a guy with a three D printer. If only. <laughs> if only. I don't know. Are you insinuating now? <laughs> um, so, uh, Tchotchke shops. Uh, but Freeman points out Quarks, which is a franchise business with massive profits. They all enter the bar, and Quark is immediately off-put, uh, shoving away some fans. Freeman asks Quark to speak with the Karema, but he refuses, saying he's busy. Mm-hmm. Freeman presses, but Quark insists he doesn't want to oversaturate the market, which is very unferengi. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kira asks Quark for a favor as they want to make a good impression, but Quark insists that he doesn't want to make a good impression with the Karema as they did nothing during the Dominion War. Korzak, the Karema, is insulted mm-hmm. and tells Quark they had nothing to do with the Dominion War. Quark replies that he's done business with the Karema before, and he will not make that mistake again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strange, strange principled stance by uh, by, by Quark, the least principled Ferengi <laughs> yeah. of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the only principle he has is he won't fuck a man. In public, uh, he got, he got, he got kind of, uh, he got close to he, fucking he, a man. He considered it. He, like, I'm, oh yeah, he did. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite, like favorite. Quark episodes because mm-hmm. Quark is definitely bisexual. Yeah. 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 Like he was, Quark was so ready to suck dick, which yeah. Ferengi should not suck dick. <laughs> like, look at those teeth. Like, he, he. It's like, that's like getting, getting your suck dick well, sucked. That's they like getting may, your dick sucked by Dracula, the director of this they episode. They may not even do like mouth stuff. It could all be ear stuff. That's true. It could all be Umox. Yeah, we don't. But know. like, but like, like, yeah, like, which is weird. Then why do they? I mean, I guess women are always naked. Ferengi women are always naked. But why do the men even wear clothes? Like, what's what's obscene about being naked if all of their sex happens with the ears? Mm. Yeah, I mean, a status. Because it's because it's definitely seen as a status symbol, like that the That's women that the women aren't allowed to wear clothes, and also like Quark be dressing. Yeah, like Quark has fucking yeah, yeah. fashion dog. He does. I fucking love his shit. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that's a thing. Like, I always think about how like male fashion I think is very boring, except for like when it comes to Quark and Jake Sisko. Exactly, and They're like, so and, but but like that that kind of stuff only exists in DS Nine. You don't actually see that yet. Yet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like nobody is out there making like quark suits that i can wear to special events i bet i bet like and demo meester some someone does but you know they're like eight thousand dollar suits yeah i mean I, I i would buy one i'm not a i'm obviously not a suit guy <laughs> but like i think i do yeah. i think i i think you know i am invited to like special events sometimes I mean, you look 
Well, you look like you own a suit. You look like you're a defendant enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I one time I did go to court and I was wearing like a really baggy suit. I got a Goodwill. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, um, yeah, but I would like, you know, a suit, you know, I could show up to in front of a judge and, but, and, like, <laughs> and look like Quark. And look like Quark. <laughs> <laughs> Like, why, where is that for me? Like, I, I think suit, yes, because I think suits look boring as fuck. But I want to. Qu- I, I object. I made profit. <laughs> I made profit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I get put into the loony bin <laughs> <laughs> and the gallows. And the gallows. Uh, they bring it back just for me. Oh boy! <laughs> um, so back with Tendy and Rutherford. Mesk is still singing Orion pirate shanties. Is Tendy and Rutherford make uh, arrive at the Karema ship? with the different types of booze. As Mesk continues to talk about his pirate skills, Tendi has finally had enough and snaps at him, telling him she never liked Orion's association with pirating, and it's frankly embarrassing. Mesk tells her Starfleet really humaned her up, and says he'll never forget where he came from. <laughs> Back with bold Boimler, he has a stack of gold-pressed latinum in front of him. The pit boss comes over and immediately accuses him of cheating. Boimler, innocent, denies this. And mm-hmm. feeling bold, triples down his bet, horrifying the pit boss. Yeah, does he say, like, my per- my, my purse feels a little light? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe he says that earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a little bit. Ah, um, over at the bar, Quark is arguing with Korzak while Freeman tries to mediate the situation. Freeman tells Korzak that even though Quark is insufferable, his business acumen cannot be doubted. She points out the Quark 2000. One of the Karema eyes it suspiciously, and Quark demands they step away from it, immediately closing the bar and yelling for everybody to get out. The Karema investigate the machine as Quark continues to protest, saying his replicator contains trade secrets. Korzak picks up the replicator and throws it down in anger, destroying it. Uh, he orders the Alpha Contingency, and his assistant throws uh, the orb that was shown earlier. It nearly hits Kira, but Shax dives and saves her as the orb hits a terminal and activates. A blackout ensues immediately on both the DS9 and Cerritos, and in the mayhem, the Karema kidnap Quark and beam him back to their ship with them. That's what I was finding odd. Like, it hit... um uh. Uh, console and quarks right right and so quarks is like tied into the whole system that's a good point why why is there a console at quarks that's and and that and then like uh and yeah and and just like that console and quarks uh was able to then shut down get get to the main power system and shut down not only deep space nine but also the cerritos i think you found a very big plot hole Mm, hope someone gets fired for that blunder (laughs) <laughs> I hope um, instead they kidnap their entire family and show them a video of uh, them beheading their entire uh. family. And then, like, when they're at their absolute lowest, uh, reveal that it's a surprise party and that it was a deep fake. Uh. And then, and then, like, you know. And then there's cake and ice cream. Yeah, but, but, but then, but then, but yeah, they're having cake and ice cream and, like, the kids come out and the wife. Mm-hmm. But then, like, right as he's hugging them and crying, uh, a man just comes and executes his wife and children. <laughs> I hope that happens because of this mistake. Uh, maybe extreme. I, I, I'm fine with just letting it go. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe extreme like the uh, you know the prog metal super group from the eighties and nineties <laughs> that had uh, Gary Sharon, who was later in Van Halen three. You son of a bitch, <laughs> you ignorant motherfucker! Isn't it Halen you squared? F- fucking Philistine! It's it's Halen cubed. Thank you very much. Oh, that's much. right, Halen's cube. That's right, yeah. three is cubed. I'm sorry. Yeah, like Alien cubed by David Fincher, uh, yeah. which people call Alien three because they're ignoramuses <laughs> of the high. Order. I think I said at the beginning of this I did fail math. So yeah, <laughs> I don't remember what's the difference between squared and cubed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you look like the type of guy who got barbecue sauce on your GED. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Uh, <laughs> so is it the mullet? <laughs> It's the mullet, the unkempt beard. Mostly it's the Neelix shirt, though. Oh, yeah, the Neelix shirt. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the dead giveaway, Pat. <laughs> I just see that coming. I'm like, I, I don't even have to look at your face. I'm like, here comes trouble. <laughs> it's like, how did that guy make a bail? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> he must have a wealthy relative. Mm-hmm. Where's his ankle bracelet? <laughs> yeah, where's he hiding it? Where's he hiding it? Um,. What do they what do they do with ankle bracelets for people who don't have ankles? I'm sure it's just like put somewhere else. Around their waist or uh, their maybe wrist. like a wrist, yeah. That'd suck having it on your wrist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. About, ooh, that'd be cool if you you could get it as like a cock ring. <laughs> so it's just around your dick and balls the whole time. I feel that would be uncomfortable. Yeah, maybe for you. <laughs> but if you're an edgelord like me, uh, and yeah. I mean that in like the um I really like the guitars from U2, the Edge Pizza from Pizza Hut. They, 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 they're not coming for a long it's, time. It's, it's Velcro, isn't it? Uh, is it? I think I can't remember. I've I've seen I've seen them up close, but I can't remember if it's like a Velcro type. It's locked. I can't remember. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> so we're we're getting off we're getting off course. No, we're not. <laughs> That's totally <laughs> relevant. Kira tries to contact Ops, but the power outage prevents it. Over with Boimler, he once again scores big on Dabo just as the power goes out, and both the pit boss and the the, the guy who's running the table are fucking terrified. Mm-hmm. Over on the Karema ship, Rutherford sees Mesk <laughs> carving something into the wall. Mesk says it's uh, the Orion language informing other Orions that Tendi is a traitor. Tendi objects, but just then Korzak and the Karema beam aboard with Quark, who's pleading for help. Unaware that they're on board, the Karema depart and set a course for the wormhole mm. with Rutherford, Mesk, and Tendi being like, we're trapped. <laughs> Cut to um, commercials. Those don't happen anymore. No. It's weird they have extended like black pauses, though. Yeah. Where commercials would be cut in. Because obviously my, they're probably you know playing this you know in other countries on actual mm-hmm. TV. They probably have a deal somewhere to play it on. TV, yeah, and so. you never know. In the future, it might appear on something i mean also i do know in the future they're gonna start putting ad breaks on every streaming platform actually i think i have commercials on my but you have the premium one don't you no i get commercials still oh you got the commercial one yeah well okay still so yeah i do get commercials okay maybe it was scott i was i was actually talking to scott he has the premium one and he said he got commercials the other day Hmm. which is wild to me yeah yeah, I I tend not notice them anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's like I buy any of that shit. 
they advertise. <laughs> I mean, mo- most of them. If it's like a Verizon commercial, I can usually jerk off to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can jerk off to most commercials. It depends, though. Like, I do like it when they have, like, pugs in the commercials. I do like that. I've been noticing lots of pugs in commercials. I like I, those. I can't jerk off to that because I'm no, not a white can't. woman. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I don't get off to dogs. I just think I just think they're little precious guys. Oh yeah, they are. But yeah. you know, once again, you're not a white woman. So no, you don't want to have sex with one. No, no, no. I, I just think I just look at them as little babies. So. Oh, that's really sweet. <laughs> uh, over on the Karema ship, Rutherford sees Mesk. Oh, no, I already did that. Uh, in Castro's quarters, everybody is wondering why the power has been lost, as and they try to report to their stations, only to find themselves trapped in the room with the manual hatch being fused closed. One of Castro's friends starts to have trouble breathing, and Mariner notes that it does feel a bit stuffy in the room. Uh, taking out her tricorder, Jennifer realizes that the impulent candles are burning up more oxygen than normal candles and Mar- as Mariner tries to extinguish them. But everyone in the room objects due to their intentions. Yeah. <laughs> My intentions! Uh, as they all panic, Mariner tries to reason with them, but Jennifer pulls her aside and asks why she's being so polite, as she's not sounding like herself at all. Mariner admits that she's been trying not to sound bossy or mean to her friends, since she didn't want to upset Jennifer and potentially ruin their friendship. Jennifer responds that she actually likes that Mariner doesn't take shit from anyone, uh, and has a short tolerance for people uh, and has been looking forward to seeing her really go to town on her friends. And this is actually like an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, where they are bringing um, Larry in to be a social assassin. That's right. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so, that's what I immediately thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's just like when, yeah, they're bringing Larry around to. Oh, God. Yeah. Reassured, Mariner takes out her phaser and fires it twice in the air, telling everyone at the party, to sh- uh, sorry, the salon, to shut up. Castro angrily stands up to her, and Mariner stuns her with a phaser, reasoning that people consume much less oxygen when they're unconscious, which is very true. It's Mm -hmm. like half the oxygen. It's crazy. Yeah, that's wild. Mm -hmm. Uh, Shocked by this, the other girls run in fear as Mariner chases them all, firing her phaser, much to Jennifer's amusement. Oh, (laughs) I I too like it when one of my new partners assaults my friends. Uh Uh-oh. That's a that's a green flag, baby. Mm-hmm. I know, I know they're gonna beat that dick up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, the flesh is willing and it's not very sensitive. So mm-hmm. I need someone who can treat it like one of those punching clowns and just oh like, yeah, ba-boing, ba-boing, or a speed bag. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I, I you know what? Like I would take a blowjob from a Ferengi. I think I'd be fine with that. Mm. I think I think I like a toothy blowjob. Interesting. You'll, yeah, most people don't like. But most, their teeth are very jagged. Yeah. So so mm. um so is Atlantis Morissette's seminal album "Jagged Little Pill," <laughs> and that sold 15 million <laughs> copies. You ignorant Philistine son of a bitch! But you didn't stick your dick in it. Yeah, says you. <laughs> Maybe you can't stick your dick in the hole in a CD, <laughs> or, or or in the two holes in a cassette tape. But some of us have very strange penises. <laughs> yeah. Specifically has that little notch at the end to help you rewind it. <laughs> so that's how like you, a pencil. So yeah, so that's like a how, number two pencil. That's how, that's how you, that's how, when I was a kid, that's how you rewinded your, your cassette tapes. Like, <laughs> just stuck my dick in it and spun it around yeah. a whole bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Wow, are you my therapist? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, oh, weird. I've been I've, I've 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 infiltrated your life and yeah. gotten to this podcast and <laughs> this secretly therapize you. Ther- therapize <laughs> me. It's not working. It's not working. Not working very well. <laughs> um, so now we're on the Karema ship uh, and it's approaching the wormhole. Uh, Rutherford calls to Mesk to use his unique pirate skills to take over the ship. However, Mesk breaks down. It admits that he's never pirated anything in his life. Uh-oh. Tendi is dumbfounded that he'd admit to this when all he has talked about all day was his skill set of piracy and pirating and being a (laughs) 'er ne'er-do-well pirate. But Mesk admits that he was faking it all. He's a Orion weeb. He admits he's never been to Orion, having grown up in Cincinnati, Ohio, after being adopted by a human family. So he's basically Orion Wharf, right? Yeah. He's Orion TNG Wharf specifically. Yeah. Um... It is, yeah. I, I immediately thought that because, yeah, Worf was raised by the uh, Russian Jew, Jews. And we just I like, just watched that episode, Family, the other day. Yeah. That episode rules. It does. It's the episode directly he, after He was given the most of, embarrassing parents. But but I love them. I love oh, them yeah. so much. Like, yeah, they're just like Russian Jews. They're like, oh, I should want for my son, my very favorite son, Worf, to have the happiest boy in the world. <laughs> and And like, oh, God, they're so funny. And he's like, do not embarrass me, <laughs> yeah. but I am glad you're here. I love you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they're like, oh, we love you so much, Worf. <laughs> Worf was definitely crawling in his skin. These wounds they cannot heal. These wounds they cannot heal, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's acting out. He's probably, probably he's probably definitely went through like a... like a, oh, like, angsty like phase? An, angst, angsty teen phase oh, yeah. when he was a kid. Yeah, when he like, uh, he fucking like bought the uncensored version of... Uh, the Limp Bizkit album, and then he like um, he got a a, a mall bat left, and he's like, "Fuck you, mom, and dad! I'm a Klingon. I'm not one of you. You're not my real parents. I am son of Moog." Um, so he's a weeb. He admits he grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, after being adopted by a human family. His knowledge of Orion piracy is questionable at best, since all he learned came from Holonov. The bad ones with boobs on the cover. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! We love Orion boobs. Yeah, I bought. I once bought a book. Uh, I I actually never read it either, which is funny. But it was called uh, "Fangs for the Mammaries," <laughs> and then like it just had a big boob vampire on the on the front. And I was is just that like, like a Chuck Tingle book or something. No, no, it was just like a it was like a I guess a compilation book of just like vampire stories. And yeah, I just got it because like it had the funniest the funniest cover and name that I'd ever seen. Yeah, "Fangs for the Mammaries." Look it up. It's, it's, uh, look it up if you can. And so uh, what? Um, uh, what's a good question? What pages are stuck together? <laughs> well, obviously, it's not a picture book, so only the, <laughs> only the cover is very sticky. <laughs> <laughs> Just all these like all these like unsexy words in it that I can't that, that, Just, that didn't these look, shapes that, are not sexy. That, to did, me. that didn't look like big ass tits. So I was just like, fuck this. These are bad shapes. Bad shapes. I don't like these shapes. <laughs> <laughs> this B maybe. Yeah. But it kind of looks like a boob or a butt. Or a butt. Oh, that's true. Oh man, I didn't even think of that. Well I have to go back and reread it. Yeah, do you need a moment? <laughs> do you need to go to the bathroom for yeah. a minute there? <laughs> Look at some words. <laughs> so Tendy asked why Mesk lied, and he replies that growing up, people always looked upon him. Is a typical Orion. 
and expected him to be as such. Uh, as he never knew any other Orions growing up, uh, he was never checked on his skill set. Hearing this, Tendi sympathizes with him and relates with her own struggles that she's had to face as an Orion and tells him that it's important just to be himself, despite what others expect. Mesk apologizes, and as they reconcile, he only wishes he had the skills since Orion piracy would help him in their predicament right now. Mm -hmm. Tendi agrees, then grabs Mesk's multi-key and springs into action. She pries off a bulkhead and manages to manually open a nearby door. Tendi tells them that her father taught her that every ship has a security failsafe, and they rush off to find it. A Karema security guard tries to stop them, but Tendi takes them out with ease before she notices a gold tooth in another guard's mouth. She takes him out and extracts the tooth with a multi-key, continuing to astound Rutherford and Mesk with her pirate skills. The music here is phenomenal. Yeah. It is rousing. It is like, I mean, the music in this whole series has been great. Mm -hmm. This season has been extra wonderful. Like, just big ups to whoever did the composing. Mm -hmm. I'll have to look it up later because it's, it's just great. Um, they rush into a room with the ship's propulsion controls as they get closer and closer to the wormhole. Placing the tooth in an energy field, Tendi rushes to the controls, and moments later, the ship stops just short of the wormhole. Asked how she did it, Tendi reveals that the gold tooth actually had latinum inside of it, and she used it to magnetically decouple the propulsion controls. She tells them that it's only a temporary fix, uh, and it won't be long before the Karema find out what she did, but moments later, the ship is engulfed by a tractor beam. And also wondering, does the wormhole not have any sort of gravitational pull? I don't think so. Because, like, I feel like at so close it would have just been, like, Cause it's pulled not a, in. It's not a black hole, necessarily. No. But, but still, it has, like, I'm assuming some mass that, and... Yeah, maybe. I mean, or is it... Because, I don't know. Because it's, it's some... not in space, so it's not of... Mm regular spatial physics at all right uh, so i mean it is something physics defying so that's a thing they can definitely pass off with techno babble because yeah. guess what wormholes don't exist <laughs> yeah, so they yeah. can't they can't get it wrong mm -hmm. they can't possibly get it wrong just yeah. like the fucking subspace conduits that the fucking borg use mm -hmm. they can't get that wrong because it can't theoretically exist it's not yeah. a real thing mm -hmm. um yeah so having restored power DS9 successfully catches the Karema ship and begins to retract them, though Ransom wonders why they just stopped as close as they did to the wormhole. Freeman orders the Karema beamed straight to the brig. In Castro's quarters, Mariner has finally managed to stun everyone with her phaser, and Jennifer admits that Mariner's tendency to keep things unexpected is what she likes most about her but goes on to say that it would look really bad if they were discovered unconscious in a room full of unconscious crew members. Mariner agrees, and as they embrace and kiss one another, Mariner stuns them, and they fall to the bed unconscious just as the power to the ship is restored. A very sweet moment, actually. Very, yeah. very tender for a comedy cartoon. Mm -hmm. uh, in DS9's brig, Korzak demands to be released, but Freeman tells him that their kidnapping of Quark cannot be overlooked. Quark intervenes, saying that everything's just a simple misunderstanding and they can certainly work out a resolution. Enraged by this, Korzak accuses him of stealing Karema technology as the Quark 2000 is full of Karema technology and components and that they weren't kidnapping him, 
but in fact were arresting him <laughs> for trade violations. Everyone now turns to Quark, who reluctantly admits that a few years ago he did indeed borrow a Karema replicator, but that it was his codes that made them so popular. Mm-hmm. Freeman agrees, or sorry, Freeman comes up with a solution to make both of them happy, and we go to a captain's log. Captain's log supplemental. Our mission, though unexpected, has been a resounding success. The Karema have agreed to open up trade and not imprison Quark in exchange for 76% of all of his franchise's profits. Now we're back at Quark's bar. The Karema are enjoying themselves, asking for large amounts of top-shelf Tamarian mead on the house, of course. Mm. What do you think Tamarian mead tastes like? Mm. It's made out of Tamarian honey. Do you think it's like butt honey? <laughs> it's, it's mud honey? Yeah, I mean... Seattle band? I mean, uh, we did see uh, uh, the new uh, Tamarian uh, uh, guy playing with flowers, right? Yeah, so yeah. Maybe they have some sort of like, they do have bees that are similar to ours, so it could probably taste kind of similar. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, but who knows? You know, we have to, we have to go out and taste it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Quark begr- begrudgingly gives them the top shelf Tamarian mead uh, while he takes issue with how the Federation handle the situation. And the Tamarian, or sorry, the uh, Karema, Karema say, it's on the house. Mm hmm. Freeman simply tells him that it's likely better to be poor than in prison, which Quark disagrees with. <laughs> Elsewhere, Mariner apologizes to Jennifer that she didn't win over her friends, although Jennifer finds it better that her friends are now scared of her. Quark brings over a couple drinks and recognizes Mariner, asking her if she has enough latinum to cover her tab from back in the day, telling her she better have a huge pile of latinum. Mm-hmm. Mariner says she doesn't, but asks... To have the tab cleared, or she'll show a uh, holochip of Kira with Quark's head on mm-hmm. Kira's body. To Kira. Uh, Kira comes over, getting reacquainted with Mariner, and Quark quickly, quickly grabs the chip and puts it in his mouth, saying he was just clearing her tab for old time's sake. Uh, Kira immediately grabs him, asks what's on the chip, and Quark runs off in fear. <laughs> over at the Dabo table. But did also Kira make that? She made that edit. She did. Yeah. But Quark kept it mm. for reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, he's, he's combined, like, you know, two things he loves most, I guess. Her body and then him and himself. That's true. So, yeah. There's, there's, there's profit in that rule. Yeah, there's, right there. there's some, there, there's, there's a... There's years of therapy just in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's years of therapy in them there hills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over at the Dabo tables, Boimler is, Bold Boimler is still winning, and the Ferengi pit boss offers to give him a gift card with double the value of the latinum that Boimler has won, instead of Boimler walking away with all of that gold-pressed latinum. And Bold Boimler decides to take it, since they don't even use money in Starfleet. <laughs> uh and the annoyance is actually annoyed at that. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, the, the pit boss is actually very annoyed at that, which is which is fun. Yeah. It's like what? Yeah. <laughs> um Shax and Kira share a couple drinks, and Kira thanks Shax for saving her. And that now she actually does owe him one, much to the dismay of Shax. At another table, Rutherford is excitedly talking with Tendi about how amazing she was in action. 
and she asks if he's embarrassed about her history with piracy. He immediately says he isn't, since it's just a part of who she is. Tendi is thankful and promises to no longer be embarrassed about her past. She then wonders what to do with the gold tooth, uh, the gold latinum tooth she still mm-hmm. has from earlier. And of course, Quark is right there, and he eagerly takes it from her, citing the ninth rule of acquisition. Opportunity plus instinct <laughs> equals profit. Credits roll. What do you think? Uh, I, of course, loved it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Just hand me that. Oh, no. No. Uh, oh, there we go. There we go. Sorry, I have a little bit of technical difficulties. Yeah. No, uh, of course, I loved it. Like, uh, you know, I love the return of Nana Visitor and Ar- Armin Shimmerman um, reprising yeah. their roles as... Uh, we do love them. So Kier and Quark. Yeah, they're great. Uh, love the return to DS9. Of course, you know, I think, you know... I think we mentioned earlier, like, DS9 is probably both of our favorite um, Trek series. Easily my favorite mm-hmm. Trek series. Yeah. Like, without, without a doubt in my mind. Mm, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, to me, it's the best one. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's easily the best one. It's like, DS9 to me is a 10 out of 10 series. Mm-hmm. TNG is great. Yeah. But, you know, it's an 8 out of 10. Yeah. Like, the first two seasons aren't very good. No. <laughs> Whereas, like, people talk, people say that the first season of DS9 isn't that great. I think it is. No, I, I even like Alamarine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they don't have, at least they don't I think have it, shades I think, of gray. Like, yeah, <laughs> I think it's like the first episode to really show like uh, Quark's, you know, secret, you know, mm-hmm. human side, you know. Uh, Absolutely. His, like, his heroic. His heroic uh, yeah. and that he has empathy for his friends. Because Quark and, is legitimately like a great hero and a protagonist mm-hmm. like of DS9, but he's treated like this weird anti-hero type thing. Yeah. But like any like. Basically, any specific Quark episode they have, he is absolutely heroic. Yeah. Like, he does selfless action to help others. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, he's like, oh, fuck, no profit. Yeah. And then that's the episode. And it's yeah, great. It's the, com- the, co- is the comic relief aspect of him is, is is that he's, like, this, like, insane capitalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but at the same but he's, time. But he's also, but I think it's funny, like, they're trying to make him a parody of capitalism, but he is actually, he's has more heart than than real life capitalists. Right. And so <laughs> so I, I believe I think that's one of DS9's greatest strengths is it goes to great lengths to show more than anything that there's no such thing as a monoculture. And like they, <laughs> yeah. they make very certain to let people know like, yeah, on TNG they, on you know, fucking Voyager, they might be like, oh, that alien, I know that alien. Mm-hmm. They're this way. Yeah. They, they do that at the beginning of DS9, but as the Rick Berman fades away, as it comes into the um, Iris Stephen Bear era, you get very complex mm-hmm. villains, anti-heroes, heroes, mm-hmm. you know, like the Vorta, their whole thing is very, you know, complicated because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're basically created by a different species mm-hmm. in order to be something. So, like, how are they not going to fulfill that purpose? Mm-hmm. Uh, same with uh, Jem Hadar and, mm-hmm. like... They're, I mean, it's it's super interesting, and they do that with like every species. Mm-hmm. Is they make sure you know, hey, there's like good and bad things about every culture, yeah, uh, and everything is complex, and that fleshes it out way more. Um, yeah, I, oh, I, oh, I like it. You know, it makes it feel like an actual lived in, mm-hmm. like a uh, culture and and uh, species, like you know how they add depth and mm-hmm. to their to their. Uh, uh, to to uh different alien races and mm-hmm. yeah like I think the Frangi have like uh Frangi characters have the best um story arcs yeah and and DS nine so 
I'm going to be straight up here. Um, it, when we first started the series, Lower Decks was my second least favorite modern Trek show. Mm-hmm. It has become my second favorite modern Trek show yeah, by this point. Same. Like, obviously, like I, I prefer Star Trek: A Strange New Worlds just because it's got that familiarity mm-hmm. to it. It's live action, you know. Yeah. But Lower Decks is like hit its stride. I think. Oh yeah. I think I think this season they have officially grown the beard. Oh yeah. Like. You know. And the yeah, the also like I know you're saying like the music and also the animation I feel is also looking very awesome, very great. The space animation especially mm-hmm. is so good. Yeah, it, like, like every, the, the like, ships. Yeah, them going around DS9. Like mm-hmm. I was like, fuck, this looks great. Like I really enjoyed it. Like, and, and there's also like also it's so so much happening. Like like mm-hmm. I, I, like I like I found like on another rewatch, I was definitely like trying to pay more attention to like what was happening in the background because yeah, there's, there's a ton of little Easter eggs mm-hmm. and they've been throwing a ton of those in there. Yeah. I really like that last episode. I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. Like I think this and the last episode are two of the best episodes of the entire series. Oh yeah. No, I definitely look forward to uh, watching every week. Like I, yeah, me same, too. same when I, you know, I was watching strange so, new worlds. If I'm not mistaken, the next two episodes is a two parter and I'm actually oh, really looking forward to that. Like I'm looking forward to them fleshing out like a full 45 minutes. Yeah. That'd be on great one thing. That's, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, I think like the last two episodes of the first season were kind of a two-parter, mm-hmm. um, and that was great. I really liked that when they introduced Riker and all that shit. Yeah, and also I, I noticed like also uh, the uh, it is the the show is becoming more lived in, where they're allowed to tell more like uh, more uh, stories that are like fleshing out as like 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 no, no regular Trek shows, right? Where like, in the first season was more like you know this crazy thing, this crazy things happening, the, yeah. And we all got to go. And that, that's thing. the thing, yeah. The first the first season was a lot of hey, this crazy thing is happening. Laugh about you know the non sequiturness of it, mm-hmm. or like why it's so wacky, which is very Rick and Morty, yeah. And so for the first season, I would contend at least the first half of the first season is very much Trek and Morty, yeah. And it's not great. I it's I it's, it. it's fine. There's like a good episode in the first half of that first mm-hmm. season. The second half of the first season's better. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, it it ebbs and flows. It's it's for me very hit and miss. Some of the stuff really works, some doesn't. Uh once once they've gotten the characters really fleshed out though here in the third season, like it feels like they're now concentrating on a plot and like storytelling, which mm-hmm. is awesome because we don't really need the character development. We can have those in the stories. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Um, but also more than anything now, they're really leaning into making fun of Trek culture mm-hmm. and making fun of like everything that's happened in Trek in the past or having fun with it. And I love that. That's yeah. what I like most about the show. That's what I think they do strongest. Mm-hmm. And like the last episode was like a tour de force of, mm-hmm. Apparently, apparently Mike McGann loves Star Trek, and I can see that. I mean, he. Um, mm-hmm. So, do you remember there was a Twitter account back in the day called um, uh, TNG Eighth Season? It's from like two, oh yeah, yeah two thousand ten. Yeah. Mike mm-hmm. McGann wrote that. Oh like, really? Like ten, fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. right? And so that's that's crazy to me. So he's always been a super deep Trek nerd who's always found Trek funny. Yeah. Uh, in fun in Trek, and so I, I can. I will excuse the the Rick and Morty sheen that it had for a while mm-hmm. because I understand that's exactly where he came from. Mm-hmm. That's what he knew. He probably took some writers from he did take some writers from that. And yeah. stuff. So so it's obviously gonna have a little bit of that on there. They're gonna try to get the crossover fucking Rick and Morty fans watching the show. I I understand. Mm-hmm. I excuse it. They did it for <laughs> reasons. But now they're actually coming into a place where I think they're really like 
doing something interesting with mm-hmm. the source material yeah. and also the concept they have. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, same. Great episode. Yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, more and more seasons. Hell yeah. Uh, with that, that's all the new Trek for the week. Do you want cool. to get in to the Klingon word of the day? Let's do it. The Klingon word of the day. It's the Klingon word of the day. Today's Klingon word is kok, which means robot. Oh. You could say Tom Paris and his favorite holodeck program, Captain Proton, fought Satan's cock. <laughs> <laughs> Satan's cock. <laughs> Satan's cock. Ooh, speaking of uh, Satan's cock, uh, we um, we went ahead and watched an episode, a classic episode mm. of Voyager this week. Uh, yeah, so you want to get right into that? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Alrighty, so we uh, got a random episode from last week. It was the 522nd one in production overall, and that will be Star Trek Voyager, Season 4, Episode 25, 1. Uh, this one was written by Jerry Taylor. Mm. Yeah, who um, who is a great fucking... So Jerry Taylor was the showrunner of... Um, of Voyager along with uh, Rick Berman and Michael Piller for like the first four years. Then Rick Berman and Michael Piller like kind of dropped out to do some other stuff. And Jerry Taylor took over for, I think two seasons after which Brandon Braga took over for the very last season. Mm -hmm. So uh, by this point she was still just like an executive producer and like co-show runner, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it was directed by a guy named uh, Kenneth Biller who, um, he worked as like a story editor and stuff. Uh, he was an occasional director for Voyager episodes. Uh, yeah. And also a uh, occasional writer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, let's jump right into this bad boy. So we open in the lounge of the Voyager close up on seven of nine's face. Belana Taurus and Ensign Harry Kim are eating together as Seven approaches them. They greet her and suggest that they eat with them, Belana noting that the potato salad isn't half bad. <laughs> Which is like, it's a replicator, right? Uh, it could have been. It, I could, guess it, it could have been. It's yeah, probably Neelix's, Neelix's yeah. potato salad. What do you think you put in the potato salad? Oh, God. He, he probably would be a guy that would put raisins in the potato salad. Oh, yeah, he is. <laughs> no, that motherfucker would put craisins in there. <laughs> I do love potato salad. It's one of my favorite things. That's great. Yeah, it's great. But um, but I, I, I would, I would, I think I would approach all of Neelix's creations with, like, some hesitancy. Like, I would probably, like, have to, like, 
pick it apart a little with my fork, even though that is kind of rude. But I, you know, you, you don't know what's in the fucking. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I would probably be like doing crimes to get uh, like uh, fucking um, <laughs> rations for the uh, the replicator. Oh yeah, I, there's not. I don't want to put anything that Neelix has touched in my mouth. <laughs> like those those. He hands, wasn't. He never wore a hairnet. I mean, he never wore gloves or anything. Like, yeah, like he's a d- disgusting man. <laughs> I mean, you know, the fucking the the skin porridge makes itself; it just secretes. Yeah, but you know that that, that also adds a little flavor to it. Yeah, I mean, I you know, you know what we I, uh, the potato salad is tasting extra Neelix-y today. <laughs> I you know I I would try Neelix's potato salad. I would give it I would give it like a college try. I guess I would just be like, all right, I'm going to try it and give my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. But who knows how I yeah I would I have I'd have to imagine. That it would have to be safe. So instead of instead of Neelix's uh, potato salad, I'd like to see him attempt to do the stand-up bit by Ron White, Tater Salad. <laughs> tater Salad. Yeah, they call me Tater Salad. <laughs> yeah, from uh, made famous <laughs> by the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. I mm-hmm. think Neelix would be a good comic on the Blue Collar Comedy Tour, right? He'd, he'd definitely fit right in with uh, yeah with fucking Larry the Cable Guy. I don't know with his, with his fit though. I think they would. I think they would commit a hate crime on him. Oh, they would. <laughs> they, they would. What? What kind of gay are you? Well, a Talaxian gay, of course. Like, <laughs> you. That's not funny. I don't care who you are. That's not funny, right there. Yeah, we, yeah it would definitely be a protect me looks at all costs. <laughs> Here's your sign that you're about to die. <laughs> um, they call you mashed taters. Now put your teeth on the curb. Oh my god. <laughs> Neelix, get out of there. <laughs> Seven of Nine says she does not require nutrients at this time, so she will not be having the potato salad. She mm. requests to speak uh, with them. They agree, and Seven stands up, right, standing right there, and begins to interrogate them, asking Harry, Ensign Harry Kim, his place of origin, and he starts saying South Carolina before she immediately asks Taurus to explain why she became affiliated with the Maquis. She begins to answer, but Seven immediately asks Ensign Harry Kim to list the sports he plays, and he starts to talk about how he loves volleyball, which he seems like a volleyball guy, right? Yeah. I can see that. It is funny, like, I don't know, like, uh, so baseball basically becomes extinct. Yeah, except in the mind of Jake Sisko. Sorry, in uh, Ben Sisko. But volleyball, still fine. Yeah? Yeah. And Taco (laughs) Bell won the fast food wars. I mean, it shaped culture. All right. Yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah, I do see. Yeah, I can see like okay, volleyball. I mean, it is like. Yeah. But still, like, it is funny that like some sports, yeah, just kind of. Right. I I bet. uh, You know what? You know what I bet is like really big. What's that jump ball or whatever? The trampoline basketball. You know that shit. (laughs) Oh yeah, that that, didn't they try to make a whole uh, TV show out of that? Yeah, they did make like a whole league out of it and everything, and like failed very quickly. Yeah, because it's like at, at a certain point, like like dunking becomes completely pointless. Yeah, and it's just like boring because it's it's not like you're watching like superhuman athletes. Like yeah, you can just get any guy. gravity. Yeah. It's just guys on trampolines. <laughs> yeah. It would only be watchable if they if it if they collided in midair more. Yeah, and or possibly, if they were allowed to fight. Yeah, fight that would rule. Or if they were allowed to like <laughs> tackle each other, I would watch the mother. Oh, shit so, out yeah, of it's like hockey rules where yeah. they they can just engage each other. Like Ooh, just like how about this one? How about this one? Um, they're just doing it on the trampolines and everything. But there's one battle bot in the arena. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh no, they got the ramp bot. <laughs> it's just like going around, just like knocking people over. Or if they send all... people on fire, <laughs> yeah, send people on fire. Just kidding with a giant hammer and destroying. Now BattleBots was fucking awesome. BattleBots is around again. Is it? And it's amazing. They just had their finals, and I watched it all. It was amazing. Mm. BattleBot, like watch BattleBots. It's on TNT now. I don't have cable or anything. Well, you can watch it on stream streaming. I'll give you a pass. Okay, cool. Yeah. Or yeah. you could probably just Yeah, cuz I imagine like, you know, BattleBot technology has has come a long way since we yeah, last it's watched awesome. it. Like it's awesome. It's mm. so cool. Damn. Um some of the shit they're getting into now is like nuts. Like, I did like how in the original BattleBots like people would make like really extravagant ones, like yeah, the ones with the flamethrowers and shit. Mm. And, and like, like the simplest ass one is always yeah, destroying it's, it's and it, yeah, it's always just the one that's a ramp. Yeah, <laughs> like the ramp would always win because it would just be like <laughs> just knock them over. It's, it's it's different now. They've they've found ways to like handicap things to mm. where like different bots like are allowed to be bigger or smaller based on like their success rates mm. for the type of bot they are, which is okay. really interesting. And so they actually like handicap it pretty interestingly. Oh, so like the the ramp bot's probably now just like a doorstop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like the ramp is too powerful. Yeah. A doorstop like attached to like an RC car. <laughs> so, um, Taurus uh, volleyball. Uh, and right after he talks about volleyball, Seven tells them to specify the foods he finds enjoyable. Bolana asks Seven what this is, and Seven inquires as to the nature of the sexual relationship between Bolana Taurus and Tom Paris. And Taurus is like, all right, I'm done, which was a very <laughs> yeah, funny moment. Yeah. Like, I, I got a really great good. laugh out of that. Yeah. Um, from the periphery, we see the doctor, and he tells the holodeck to freeze the program. He asks Seven of Nine exactly what she thinks she's doing, and she responds that she's doing exactly what she or what he instructed her to do. He says he created the program to help Seven become more comfortable in social situations, but she's alienating people by interrogating them, and she's not letting anybody answer or listening to what they're saying. He asks if she wants to try again, and she says she's overdue for her weekly medical maintenance. The doctor says he doesn't recall her ever volunteering for medical, but she says it's far preferable to what they're doing. <laughs> Seven is so goddamn autistic coded, and it's a wonderful. Mm. Um, it's it's just wild. Um, next, we jump to the bridge, and Janeway sees some kind of spatial anomaly on the view screen, and asks what she's seeing. Ensign Harry Kim, because he's the only one who always knows what's going on, says <laughs> it's a uh, Matraic class nebula, and Tuvok notes that it reaches beyond their sensor range. Janeway says they then cannot possibly go around it and orders Tom Paris to proceed through the nebula at one half impulse speed. Ensign Harry Kim says he's sensing a slight radioactive field and then stops suddenly. Janeway asks him what's wrong and he says it's nothing, but he feels a headache coming on. It was actually Tom using like the, the vibe, uh, hitting the uh, remote control for the vibrating butt plug. I, I would think it was either that it was either that or like Ensign Harry Kim like setting up his excuse so we wouldn't have to have sex with Tom later that night. Mm, it's like, no, oh, I told yeah. you I have a headache. You know, <laughs> that's what I thought it was. Oh um, yeah, makes some more sense. So Chicote suggests uh, that Ensign Harry Kim go to sick bay, and the headache suddenly gets way worse. And suddenly Tom Paris has it because he doesn't want to fuck tonight either. <laughs> <laughs> then Tuvok has it's really it. the gift of the Magi kind of thing going on. 
kind of. Does, uh, does that make sense? Probably not. <laughs> no. I just, I just love whenever someone says it's the gift of the Magi, and it makes no sense. Oh, that sure is a gift of the Magi moment. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, then Ensign Harry Kim has a burn on his hand. Then Chakotay mm. and Janeway double over with the fucking nebula sickness. Opening credits, two minutes, 50 seconds. Uh, yeah. I love this opening sequence. It's yeah. Big, like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah. yeah set, pretty much sets up everything that you need, that we're going to get co- cover. Yeah. Big music moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they always do. I love how they go into credits with the, uh, here's what's wrong music. <laughs> yeah. um, so social cute, social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Radiation. <laughs> so we're back on the bridge, and Janeway tells Tom Paris to turn the ship around and get them out of the burning, headachy nebula. Paris makes it back to the nav uh, station just as Janeway calls sick bay, telling the doctor they need immediately medical assistance to the bridge. The doctor says he's been immediately inundated with calls and sends Seven to the bridge with a dermal regenerator to heal people's burns. The we're sick acting here is hilarious mm-hmm. and terrible yeah it's like the shaky ship thing mm-hmm. uh but like combined with the oh i'm so sick my <laughs> tummy acting and it's funny as hell it's it's like categorically awful mm-hmm. they just should not have done it like we, we get it <laughs> they're all suffering from a sickness mm-hmm. you don't need the shaky camera it's bad uh tuvok manages to lay in a course out of the nebula and eventually, everybody recovers after they clear the nebula. Everybody, that is, except an unnamed engineer who's burnt to a motherfucking cookie crisp. Oh, yeah, he Seven really says got it. he's dead. <laughs> yeah, he's looking like Darth Vader here. Like, I'm talking like, well, I guess Anakin Skywalker mm-hmm. at the end of um, yeah, Star Trek or Star Wars 3. And that's such a such a bad way to go just by them going like, well, let's go into the nebula, and that's the end of you. Yeah, and he's like, <laughs> man, this headache sucks. <laughs> what smells so good? It's me! <laughs> <laughs> Is someone cooking chicken? Ooh. Oh! That barbecued chicken? Hmm. <laughs> uh, in a briefing room, Seven shows Janeway some footage of the nebula, <gasps> saying it stretches beyond 100 light years. Janeway notes that it would take a month to get through something that size and a year to get around it. Seven notes that the humans on board could not survive even a few minutes of the nebula, much less a month. Janeway has a rousing little speech where she says they've come 15,000 light years and haven't been stopped by temporal anomalies, warp core breaches, or hostile aliens. And this motherfucking son of a bitch nebula can suck my dick and it's not about to stop us and then leaves to go to sickbay. In sickbay, the doctor has scanned the gases from the nebula and thinks everybody got fucked up by subnucleonic radiation. Essentially, the nebula is farting. (laughs) Uh, And its farts destroy organic tissue with even the briefest exposure. You know what I mean? Janeway asks if the crew can somehow be shielded from it, and the doctor recommends stasis chambers. The human crew is locked away for a month on an independent life support while the doctor sticks around to run things. That's, um, this is a part that doesn't make sense to me though. Like why is the stasis chamber able to, uh, protect them from the radiation and the whole of the ship cannot? 
Right. Exa- yeah. Exactly. Like, why don't it's uh, why don't you make the whole plane out of the black box? Yeah. Kind of thing. It's like it's like what is what is different about the stasis chamber? Uh, yeah. Right. It's like if so. I mean, maybe they should have done it with like uh, made made an explanation like uh, the sub nucleate uh, sub radiation or something uh, reacts specifically at this temperature, mm. uh, which is the human body temperature. So we have to bring oh, that yeah, down. That yeah, or something like that. You know. Uh, yeah, that would have made sense, but mm-hmm. you know. but yeah, it's just like D- despite the, that little story hole. Yeah, Stacia's chamber was just like a thin piece of plastic that covered their face, and yeah, essentially. And so it's like, mm, well, okay, well that that's that magically protects you from the bad thing, but you know, but you have to you have to accept it for the story. But yeah, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> so, um, uh, Jimmy asks, what happens if the doctor goes offline in the situation? And he notes there was only one other person unaffected by the radiation. So now Janeway is talking to seven in her, I think it was the cargo bay, but they made it into like her bedroom and like put her fucking regeneration mm-hmm. thing with the, the fun, stupid lights on it in there. So, uh, Janeway's talking to Seven there and tells her she wants her to understand the seriousness of this task and the lives of everybody on board depending on her. Seven asks Janeway if she thinks she wouldn't be up to the task, and Janeway says that she's still adjusting from not being a Borg, so it might be difficult for her to experience such isolation, which actually kind of makes sense. Yeah. Seven points out she's neither human nor Borg and says she's confident she's up to the task. Janeway concedes and says that Seven is to follow the doctor's orders as though they were her own. Seven asks if she's following the orders of a hologram, and Janeway ensures her that he's the chief medical officer of the ship, and he's thoroughly grounded in Starfleet protocols. Seven mm-hmm. says she does understand. Yeah. yeah that's fair. He's, he's like the smartest guy on the ship. Right? Which, I mean, brings me to the thing. It's like, do you think they'd let Data have command? Because they're letting the doctor have command here. Mm-hmm. He's a fucking program. Yeah. Which is interesting that they, like, trust their AI that much. And But I guess, like, everything in the ship basically is run by AI. So they're always yeah. trusting AI mm-hmm. in some way. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and the doctor is his whole, you know, his own person. Like, he's a fully, you know, fully actualized uh, intelligent life form. Yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> In the meeting room, Chakotay says the doctor is currently preparing the stasis units for the entire crew. Paris asks how long it's going to be, and Janeway says at least a month, maybe a little bit longer. Milana Taurus asks if there are any long-term side effects to stasis, and Janeway says the doctor insured her it was just like taking a nap. Janeway says they'll go into the units, have their heart rates and neurological activity slowed down, and wake up feeling well-rested, whenever they get to the other side. Ensign Harry Kim is concerned that there could be things that go wrong, or at least that's what he's read. Mm -hmm. God damn it, Harry Ensign. You're fucking, like, you run ops on this ship. (laughs) You're the fucking data of this ship. Mm -hmm. Have a backbone, Ensign Harry Kim. (laughs) Yes, something could go wrong. A lot of things could go wrong. Have some goddamn confidence, buddy. Yeah. Janeway ensures them that they will be well cared for by seven of the doctor who will check their vital signs four times a day. Now, if they're hooked up to machines and, you know, the doctor is a machine hooked up to the ship, couldn't the doctor, like, 
constantly be monitoring them. Yeah, that's one thing I always like. I kind of I was kind of wondering also watching this episode. I was like, oh yeah, like, like Why? he would he would like almost immediately. But then he could be kind of he is quite good off. But I was wondering if he would immediately know like like what the computer knows. He should. Yeah. Because how else is he like able to respond to things so immediately? Like, yeah. He's he has the knowledge of that entire computer. He's basically. Majel Barrett, but without the dick sucking, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, Tom Paris asks gingerly if they're really, if they've really actually explored all other options. Janeway admits she does have her own reservations and concerns, but she thinks it's about loss of control. Mm-hmm. We always feel better if we feel in charge of our own circumstances, and in stasis, they're giving that up. Which is actually a great speech, and I mm-hmm. totally agree with that. Like that was, and that's one thing I really love about Janeway is mm-hmm. more so than I think pretty much any other captain. Like she will immediately defer to explaining things in a human emotional way, yeah. Instead of immediately like just lawyering their way through why this is right, mm-hmm. which pull, I think is cool. Pulling rank or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. She's just like, yeah, I understand your concern, and here's why I think you have the concern, which is really cool and something that maybe yeah. like. You know, um, fucking Troy would have done. Mm-hmm. Counselor Troy, not mm-hmm. the ultimate dick sucker Troy. <laughs> um, you know, on TNG, but it's really cool when the captain does that. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like, you know, I, I love Janeway. Janeway's just Yeah, she's now. great. Yeah, yeah. Also, I wouldn't need that speech if they were offering me uh, the ability. A, week, a month-long nap? Yeah. <laughs> with, like, the possibility by the end of it you don't wake back up? I'd be like... <laughs> Can I? Can I now? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've, got, I've got stuff. I've got plans, but oh yeah, fuck them. I would. Em. I would leap right in there. <laughs> like, hook me up, daddy. <laughs> just, just put me. Take me to dreamland. Yeah, and then forever dreamland. <laughs> uh, so Janeway relieves uh, the crew until <coughs> seventeen hundred hours. Chakotay stays behind and tells Janeway to tell him this isn't a mistake, which she just did. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says his concern isn't about stasis, but about Seven, who has disregarded authority and butted heads with Janeway since she's come on board. Chakotay's such a fucking cop. He's always, like, policing everyone's attitude and shit. It's so dumb. Yeah. Especially he, since and- he was a fucking Maquis. He was yeah. a Maquis captain. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, guy. Stop, yeah. stop being such a bootlicker. <laughs> He's bootlicking Starfleet all the way back to the Alpha Quadrant. And it's like, dude... You're former Maquis. You should mm. be ideologically against the Federation and, like, not about their fucking bullshit manners. That's not part of why you join the Maquis, you dumb-dumb. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like the big shift. I love Chakotay for the first, like, season. Mm-hmm. And then he takes a weird, dumb shift and mm-hmm. becomes all Starfleet Boy Scout. <laughs> Fuck that. My people have a saying. Fuck that, homie. <laughs> um... So, uh, Chakotay says uh, that Janeway's bond with Seven is very unique, and he doesn't understand it, but he wants Janeway to explain it to him. Janeway says she can't really explain what makes Seven special, but believes she can be redeemed. She believes Seven wants to do well by the entire crew, and Chakotay says that's enough for him, which is very weird. That yeah. that's an, it's like... I'm convinced. <laughs> it's like, listen, I'm not, I'm not convinced because you're only making appeals to emotion. Well, how about this appeal to emotion? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Yes. Thanks, yes. Cap. 
Yeah, um, I think I think this person will kill us all in our sleep, and and, and, be, and like, well, have faith. You're right. <laughs> it's, it's like you know what? You could be right, but I hope you're wrong. <laughs> well, let's go take a nap. That, yeah. Um. So we're now in medical with Tom Paris complaining to the doctor that he'd rather be in his quarters for stasis. The doctor assures him this is for monitoring efficiency, so the stasis chamber is not made out of anything special. Nope. Um, and Ensign Harry Kim says it's sleepy time. Well, I think they meant they were going to put the stasis chamber in his in his quarters. Right. Yeah. Maybe, but still. Um, still, yeah. Not, so it's, it's not like, like the the entire chamber is like sealed specially or anything. Yeah, there was. Uh, they should. Yeah, it should have included some sort of line about like, oh, the stasis chamber is made out of blah blah blah. Yeah. And just like you know that the magic metal deflects the magic space rays, and that'd be like okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Um. So, or going with like the body temperature. Yeah, the body ne- temperature, neurological then, yeah. activity, something like mm-hmm. that, and it's reacting with how humans are. Mm-hmm. People, whatever. Um. However, uh, Be- Vulcan's body temperatures are super low. Yeah, their heart rate is too. So. Because that's also why I didn't know. I mean, obviously, of course, we know why. Like, we needed the story to happen. That's why Seven of Nine wasn't affected. Mm-hmm. But she still has organic components that would be affected by radiation. That's true, because she still needs, like, to fucking, like, take have a nutrition break every day and mm-hmm. all that shit. And, it's, and, it's, and she has flesh. And- yeah, which is weird, because, like, Vulcans are especially resilient to a lot of things, but mm-hmm. not this. Borg aren't... Well, I mean, but Borg can walk in space. Yeah. But she can't. I don't. I don't really understand what the fuck Seven is. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously in Picard, she's just straight up human. Yeah. But like at this point, she's like, she's conveniently more human when they need it, and yeah. conveniently more Borg when they need it. I think mm-hmm. more than anything. So. Yeah, but it's just odd that the <clears throat> that there's something with her that. Well, I mean, obviously we see later it's not entirely true, mm-hmm. but just like her organic components would still have some sort of reaction to. This radiation, like there's nothing it should, yeah, yeah, like yeah. she would get the burns or right, right, yeah, she's got the same skin that the rest of the mm, like her brain could be encased in some sort or be robotic or encased in some sort of like metal or something that protects it, protects her from like the the uh, the headache and and all that stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. But, so so this episode does have kind of a shaky premise, but yeah. But you know, but you excuse it because I do, I do like the premise because yeah, I like it's an interesting premise. Yeah, like I like, uh, and I think that's like the stories that Voy- this is the kind of stories that Voyager was made to tell. Honestly, right? yeah, the the stories where they really focus on a character are mm-hmm. like some of the best stories, and also like the the scenario that they're in where yeah. it's like, um, uh, it's like a uh of a, a mission that they have to do it's like based on their, on on them getting home right. and they have and they can't just like rely on like on calling for backup mm-hmm. or like or uh or having the ability to um get around in other in other ways cuz they mm-hmm. you know have like starfleet like they're out there on their own and they have to like troubleshoot right. troubleshoot this it's, stuff it's like a you know a scarcity thing and i mm-hmm. really like it because of that because it, it reminds me of something like um have you ever seen master and commander far side of the world uh, yeah. It's like, I, I watched it for the first time, like, two weeks ago. Oh, for real? I've already watched it twice. It's, <laughs> it's already one of my favorite movies. It's it so fucking good. fucking rules. Like, honestly, they need to make a Star Trek film that is literally that. Yeah. On a spaceship. Yes. Master and Commander is one of 
the best films ever made. It's crazy how good it is. Oh yeah, it's insane. It's and- it's, it's beautiful. <laughs> like everything about it is perfect. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's so crazy. It's. I'm so gonna good. watch it. I'm gonna watch it this weekend. I, yeah. You're welcome. You're it's, welcome. It's it's, it's it, so good, dude. Yeah, it it's is so good. It's amazing. It's an amazing movie, and yeah, like and and there is that sort of like kind of a kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, the Kirk and Spock type relationship between Russell Crowe and um, you're right. Yeah, um, uh, was it Paul Bettany? I think. Yeah, the guy that I, I can't remember. I think that's him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. That that movie fucks, dude. It mm-hmm. fucks so hard. Like. Yeah. Like I I finished watching it. I was like fuck like how how have i not watched this in the last 20 years like, yeah it's it's kind of weird it's perfect yeah. like yeah. it's such a perfect film it's it, so good i remember when it come out it didn't get that much attention yeah and it's like so the craziest thing about the film is it's two hours and 20 minutes long doesn't feel like it at the very end of the film i'm like shit that was two hours and 20 minutes and also i need it to be another two hours and 20 minutes long yeah <laughs> that was such a thrilling amount of time mm-hmm. and i just like it, it's like you know they say a great chef leaves you wanting one more bite. Mm-hmm. That was this film. Like <laughs> I was like, "Fuck! I need, I need more! I need more! God damn it!" Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I I fucking love that. This is now a Ma- Master and Commander podcast. Yes, uh, Master and Commander Bader. <laughs> um, yeah, watch so, it if you haven't. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so Tom Paris asks if they need to get out in a hurry, and Janeway tells him he can unlock the unit from the inside. The doctor asks Paris if he's detecting a hint of claustrophobia, and Tom deflects by asking why they have to design stasis units like coffins. Mm-hmm. Ensign Harry Kim asks if they need to replicate Tom a teddy bear in what is a fucking savage burn <laughs> deserving of an immediate promotion. Yes. Yeah. And fucking Janeway's right there. She hears it. She doesn't promote him. The bitch. She doesn't even high-five him for that. I know. I would have been like... My motherfucker, <laughs> or just like Ensign Kim, mm-hmm. like you know, just got Kimmed, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so but I think that would be fun to have a teddy bear in there with you, though. Yeah, that'd be cute. Um, <laughs> the doctor says, "Sleep tight," and puts Tom and Harry Kim under. Mm-hmm. Janeway walks with the doctor. Uh, also, I, they go. To, they put them in in their uniforms. That's true. They I don't have pajamas or anything. Yeah, I th- I would I would definitely I, that would be a sweatpants type situation right. for me. I mean, that would be a dong out situation for me. Yeah, and that's and you see that in like all especially in if, all sci-fi like, movies like whenever a character is put in stasis, they're usually in their underwear or like something comfortable. Right. Especially um especially because like 7 of 9 is going to be checking up on me and like mm-hmm. looking at me all the time. I am going in there dong out. <laughs> I need seven of nine to see the seven two nine. You would, you would, you would, you would actually like go in like head first. So then, <laughs> yeah. like, so then, so then I, just, I would just put a sequence of mirrors up to where, like, if you looked at my face is just by dong. Yeah. yeah. So like that way your lower body wouldn't be covered by that other part. Like you would just like, like you would, like the dick part would just be at the uh, the glass. <laughs> I, I just I just uh, reconstruct it with a replicator to where the, the plexiglass is just over my dick. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a projector that projects it onto the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> there's fireworks and like little like little like sound makers that like that try to attract her over. <laughs> this is a bit much. <laughs> Uh, Janeway walks with the doctor as he reassures her that she'll be up in a month with him waking her up. Janeway says she has every confidence in him and Seven and goes under. 
The doctor looks at Seven and says, it's just the two of us now as they stare out into the silent med bay. Commercial break. Mm-hmm. Personal log, 7 of 9, start eight five one nine two nine point three. This is the 10th day of our journey through the Natarin Nebula. I've created an efficient daily routine. Seven walks through the hallways and into the mess hall up to a replicator. She tells it to make her a nutritional supplement 14 beta 7 and makes her and it makes her like a, a, a aluminum mugful or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stainless like steel some, mugful. Some tea or something. Yeah. Um must be soylent of some sort. Yeah. She drinks it in silence very awkwardly. Mm-hmm. Like sipping it once every like two and a half seconds, which is like a very fast rate to sip anything. Yeah. Like very often. Yeah, she doesn't have like a little pad or anything to like watch something. No, she's just literally looking into space. She's like uh, on Seinfeld putty on the airplane. Yeah. Just like, you I don't, don't need a book or anything? <laughs> no, 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 I'm good. Like, I don't know. Are you just going to stare at the back of the seat? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like, yeah, she's just being like a horse or something or a cow. Just like, just content to just sit there. <laughs> um, so... Uh, next she walks into engineering and some really beautiful violin, violin music starts up and she presses a few buttons, then walks away to the bridge. There's a big lonely solo trombone playing in the background, which mm-hmm. I like to believe is Jonathan Frakes. Mm-hmm. This music is actually wonderful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the music on all three of the 90 series is baller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dennis McCarthy, I mean, did the first two series. I don't know who did Voyager. I want to say Dennis McCarthy did the theme, but. Mm. Um, so seven tells the computer to slightly adjust the heading on the course they're taking. She walks through the hallways some more and hears a door malfunctioning whereby she finds that it's opening and closing on a passed out Tom Paris. (laughs) She pages the doctor and tells him about it. And they drag his body back into the stasis unit as the stasis units. They're, uh, at the stasis units, they're putting Tom back under. And the doctor notes that Tom Paris is more claustrophobic than he thought. Although, thankfully, he didn't suffer any radiation effects while out of the chamber, which is really weird. Yeah. Also, it's weird that they don't have any sort of, like, like, um, like the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, stasis and, like, the, uh, their vitals aren't immediate, aren't all tied into the computer. Right. There's no, like, blue alert like they have yeah. in modern hospitals. <laughs> like they have in modern hospitals. Yeah. Like, something that, <coughs> an alarm that would immediately go off if the, containment unit was open because mm-hmm. that is a life or death situation and, and, and like and obviously like a person can you know sleepwalk mm-hmm. or like uh and 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 exit it at their of uh, their own volition like yeah there probably should be some sort of alarm attached to the maybe. system <laughs> or maybe they just didn't care if it paris just like wandered out and killed himself <laughs> <laughs> yeah they they intentionally left his he put him in a malfunctioning unit yeah. they, they had it they had on the timer so it would open and he's <laughs> like an ah, egg timer. Ah, ah. <laughs> and then they set it to like the benny hill music and show it back to him <laughs> they show it to the whole bar at paris three and everyone yeah. laughs no i've lost respect for the holograms <laughs> Even the hologram girl won't fuck me now. Uh, so Seven asks if it's likely to happen again, Tom Paris getting out. And the doctor says it's not uncommon for people to come out of stasis and begin wandering. And says, leave it to Tom Paris to be just as much trouble when he's asleep as when he's awake. Which, again, 
Savage Tom Burn, number two for this episode. Love it. <laughs> Everyone is clowning on him the entire yeah, time. Straight up. Like, this is not a And good... he has no good comebacks. Oh, no, no. He's he's just like, <laughs> so Seven asks. Maybe, maybe that's why he's re- re- leaving his stasis chamber. He wants to die. <laughs> he's like, I can't take the bullying anymore. Harry Kim is fucking dunking on me now. Yeah. He's going to do a school shooting on the Voyager. <laughs> Uh, so Seven asks the doctor. <laughs> he's, he's going to a gun. <laughs> <laughs> he just he's passed out with his hand on a blaster rifle. And, like oh, I was almost there. <laughs> so Seven asks the doctor uh, if the doctor knew it was a possibility. Why would he complain about it? The doctor says if she had even the slightest sense of humor, she'd realize he was making a small joke. And Seven responds, "Very small," which is savage. Mm-hmm. Her evil <laughs> like come on come on lady. that's mean uh that was a pretty good joke um the doctor asks for tom's vital signs he has normal vitals so seven says she's going to make her rounds the doctor says that instead they're going to the holodeck to which seven says she has no time for frivolous pursuits the doctor says it's not frivolous that it's essential he says seven has grown more irritable with each passing day and she rebutes that he has as well. But he says that's because he's had to put up with her. <laughs> and she could use a little course on how to get along with people. Mm. Seven says there's nobody around to get along with. And the doctor is taken aback saying, I'm here. <laughs> and telling her that this is not a request, that it is in fact an order. Mm. Seven turns and leaves to the holodeck. In the holodeck, Holonelix is passing around some hors d'oeuvres. Uh, obviously filled with cum, while Seven is standing <laughs> in a corner with a pad. Neelix comes over and tells her to join the party, as being alone in a corner with a pad is no fun. I disagree. It's better than talking to Neelix. She says she has no desire to have fun, and she's attempting to recalibrate the warp field to resist the radiation. She then says she understands Neelix has some understanding of warp field theory and ask for his assistance which no he doesn't <laughs> Paula Neelix is working on it when seven she call- just likes to have him feel included yeah I, I don't uh, <laughs> Paula Neelix is working on it when seven calls Holla Janeway who is wearing a pretty bomb crushed velvet dress mm-hmm. uh, for help they're theorizing together while the doctor is looking on rolling his eyes as he walks over he freezes the holodeck program and grabs Seven by the back of the arm in a way that's totally not okay, but men used to do all the time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, did you realize? Did you notice that? Because I was like, yeah. Ugh, no. <laughs> um. So the doctor tells Seven that she should be mixing and mingling, not working on engineering problems. Seven tells him that he ordered her to participate in the program and did not give any specific topics of conversation. The doctor says she's splitting hairs and she knows what function the program is supposed to serve. She claps back that the program serves no purpose. Uh, She tells him that holodecks are part of a human's need to self-fantasize, a need she does not possess, which is Mm. actually kind of true. Um, (laughs) She tells, or sorry, uh, the doctor tells her she needs editorial skill in her self-expression and that between impulse and action, there is a realm of good taste begging for her acquaintance, which is like a beautiful, poetic doctor line. Yeah. It's so doctor. Mm-hmm. It's so like Shakespearean. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's really wonderful. He was he had the ability like uh, to deliver such like amazing lines. He was because he was like. I mean, he was very, he was an actor's actor, and you can tell that he came up in, like, theater. Yeah. Like, the way he enunciates everything. But mm-hmm. because of that, he's always just a little bit camp. Yeah. And because of that, he can get away with, like, anything. Yeah. Because everything he does is just slightly camp. hmm But also, like, very, you know, just, like, melodramatic and fun. hmm Yeah, it kind of gave, yeah, because I like that it kind of gives him sort of, like, an unnatural type feel because obviously he's unnatural but right, like right. but like uh 100 but it's not anything like data which is great like mm-hmm. they figured out he figured out a way to like play a character that is essentially like like data mm-hmm. but completely unlike brent spiner played it which is yeah. awesome i mm-hmm. really yeah straight up robert ricardo is i'd say one of the top like five actors in all of star trek oh yeah he's my he's definitely my favorite doctor out of all of them yeah um yeah, him, Bashir, Flocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love I love Bones too in oh, both yeah, of his yeah. incarnations. Like, like I'd, I'd actually maybe make an argument for uh, Carl Urban Bones is a great doctor. Mm-hmm. I really like him in that role. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Seven says I find your self-expression ponderous. The doctor expresses that he can't put up with this for another month, and Seven suggests they schedule a way to avoid one another. <laughs> Which, like, the doctor can avoid her as much as he wants to. Yeah. However, he says he wishes that were possible, but the nature of their work requires she report to him four times a day. Which, no. And also, she could type it into a computer, Yeah. and it, he could just know it. Like, there's so many things they could do here. Mm-hmm. Also, like... Um, I don't know why they just like couldn't have just like consolidated like all of the ship systems to like one area to for for ease can keep they, her from having to well, do all the walking because they don't have a Scotty they can't uh, do a thing like Star Trek two where he rigged all the stuff together mm-hmm. I think those two right mm. yeah just like ha- but like some way to monitor everything mm-hmm. yeah. Just have have like the doctor monitoring all and have her be the gopher if they need to do it. Yeah, that would make sense, but there's some plot holes here for yeah. in commission of storytelling. Yeah. It, and, it, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean it's all yeah, it's all forgivable because it is a really good episode. Yeah, for yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to say that till the end. Oh, sorry, sorry. Son of a bitch. I mean my, my feelings on this episode <laughs> are very ambiguous fuck. and uh I don't know yet. Oh, you are so <laughs> fucking human filth. <laughs> 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 um so she says she can minimize uh, the four reports when suddenly something shakes the entire ship and the computer tells them that emergency procedures are in effect. Here's another kind of plot hole area. We'll talk about it. The emergency mm-hmm. asks what the nature, uh, sorry, the doctor asks what the emergency of the nature is and the computer tells them the antimatter storage tanks are failing. The two look at one another and rush to a calm. A cascade effect is happening. The warp field coil is compromised. The primary deuterium tank is rupturing, and the plasma conduits are ready to breach. And that took me like five times to listen through to actually write down. <laughs> uh, the doctor says they need to coordinate the effort and send seven to engineering and himself to the bridge. So it's got me wondering how exactly does seven work? Like the Borg can walk in space, like we were talking about, mm-hmm. making them like kind of undead. Mm-hmm. But seven's alive now. Mm-hmm. 
So I don't know if it's the best idea to send, you know, the person made out of flesh to the soon-to-be radioactive fallout center Mm. while Mr. I'm-a-computer-program goes to the safe place on the literal opposite side of the ship. Well, I I feel like his mobile emitter is is just as susceptible. I guess so, but, like, to flesh... Yeah, but like uh, you know, radiation and stuff affects electronics the same way. It does, but it's super weird because you know it's like uh, technology from the 29th century, and so it should be more advanced to like mm-hmm. resist radiation. You'd think. Yeah, you'd think. Yeah, you'd think. It's not like the robots they put on top of Chernobyl that just died immediately. Yeah, <laughs> they just put them on top of Chernobyl, and they're like. Eh. <laughs> Man, short circuit three fucking sucked. Yeah, <laughs> I'm alive, <laughs> Johnny. Alive, <laughs> Johnny's dead. <laughs> J five. That's a deep cut for everybody. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope everyone who's listening has watched Blank Man. If you haven't. Watch, oh, yeah, Man's very good. watch that before you watch Master and Commander. Watch them as a back-to-back. It'll make sense. <coughs> yeah, they they're, they're, they complement each other yeah, very well. Good companion pieces. Good companion pieces. Definitely. God, can you imagine that? You, you walk into a Walmart. Yeah, and that's, like, that's, that's the bargain bin. It's a the two bargain part. bin. Yeah, two-part. Like, Master and Commander in Blank Man. Also, like, Meteor Man in the entire series of Horatio Hornblower. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, uh-oh, something's got mixed up. <laughs> um, love it. Um, so, yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but you might be right. The EMH is susceptible to stuff, even though it should not be. Mm-hmm. So when he gets to the bridge, uh, the doctor calls Seven and says, it's worse than they thought. Engineering is flooded with, <laughs> flooded with plasma, and they'll never get in. By the way, uh, I, I have to point out that the Patrick just blew his nose with a handkerchief. <laughs> Because he's apparently a 70-year-old man from the 1980s. <laughs> hey, they're very handy. Uh, Handkerchiefs. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, wow. I hated everything about that. <laughs> so, uh, Seven says she doesn't care that it's going to be flooded with plasma. She believes she can survive just long enough to make the repairs. The doctor tells her frantically to get out just as she arrives at engineering, but nothing's happening. Mm. It's a false alarm. Uh-oh. Little plot hole. Why did the ship shake violently? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Is that a thing the computer does when it thinks it's in danger? Because that seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> it's like their phone vibrating, but it's the entire goddamn ship. Hmm. Right? Great question. Yeah, because it, uh, yeah, nothing, nothing was happening, complete false alarm, but the ship was still shaking. It's kind of like, you know, you know, when you're like, uh, when you have like a a strange twitch of your arm, maybe, or you think about, oh, my arm's going to get hit and jerk or something. So both of them imagined the ship shaking right before the the ship did. Because it has the neural gel pack, so it's sort of alive. Oh, right, right. Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so it was like a so brain. it's kind of like a person, yeah. Yeah. No, sure, sure. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it thought it was happening, so uh-huh. it shook. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So we come back from commercials, and the doctor is diagnosing the ship's problem. They need to replace, uh, and they need to replace some of the bio gel packs you were talking about mm-hmm. that are causing the false readings. The two crawl into a Jeffrey's tube and begin work. 
As they're making repairs, the doctor notes that the nebular activity seems to be causing the malfunctions. The doctor begins waxing on how the trip has been rather eventful when he starts glitching out. He says his program is degrading, and if the EMH goes offline before he gets back to sickbay, he could lose his program. <clears throat> Seven tells him not to panic, and he retorts that that's easy to say, as she's not facing cybernetic oblivion. <laughs> which is, again, a great line. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like a line that's like just silly. Yeah. But like he does deliver it and means it and it's and it makes sense it's like yeah you know it doesn't strike you as like being campy or silly it's just like oh yeah it is it is slightly camp because the doctor's always (laughs) slightly camp Mm -hmm. which is what i love about the doctor Mm -hmm. um so but he delivers it also with such seriousness too (laughs) so they crawl out of the tube and the doctor distorts again he says if it happens again he's a goner they rush to sickbay they get there just in time and the doctor breathes a sigh of relief uh, Seven scans the EMH, and it's showing signs of electro-optic modular damage. Mm. Uh, the nebula seems to be deteriorating deteriorating all of the ship's technology, with several weeks still to go. The doctor tells Seven it's up to her to keep the ship running, as he can't operate without risking further damage. Mm-hmm. She tells him she will not disappoint him. Next, Seven is standing on a glacier in a vast field of snow, and the computer chimes in saying, Oh, 600 hours, regeneration complete, as Seven awakens from her Borg regeneration thing. Mm-hmm. Bed, I guess. Stand-up bed. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like, or like one of those, you know, like, um, you know, stand-up roller coasters. Or it's like a Murphy bed she just never figured out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah like someone comes in like uh you just pull on this and she's like what the fuck god damn it <laughs> i've been sleeping standing up for how long uh so how she- did you even manage that uh <laughs> i don't sleep <laughs> personal log seven of nine stardate five four nine three two point four the 29th day in the mutar nebula i believe i am beginning to feel the effects of this prolonged isolation my dreams have been disturbing is standing like on a glacier a disturbing dream I don't... maybe to her i guess so yeah i mean she is i guess you know feelings of um her feelings of loneliness are killing her yeah feelings of isolation although yeah. i wondered if it was kind of a callback to to the original borg being planted like in antarctica mm. which i think had happened by this point because that was on what first contact right or, yeah. i don't remember mm. this is one of the star trek movies i want to say yeah um TNG films. Um, so uh, she continues her personal log. But I am determined to fulfill my responsibilities. With the doctor confined to sickbay, I have taken on increasing duties. The ship's systems are beginning to require constant maintenance to avoid disaster. This morning, I must purge the auxiliary plasma vents. End log. Seven walks onto the bridge and tries to change the course heading, but the computer isn't responding. It's glitching out and unable to comply, so Seven manually overrides and does a diagnostic, which reveals malfunctions in one-third of the gel packs, which are essentially the ship's processors. Mm-hmm. She reroutes the systems by, to bypass the failing gel packs, and it works temporarily. Seven walks into the briefing room and asks the computer to bring up a map of the nebula to reveal Voyager's progress. The computer says it will take an additional six days and five hours to get through the nebula. 
Seven is walking through one of the hallways when she hears someone call her name asking for help, and it's obviously Tom Paris. Seven walks to the stasis chamber, but everybody seems to be fully under. Suddenly, the computer gives her a proximity alert, saying a vessel is approaching as the vessel hails her. The person on the other end reveals himself to be Trogis Loteric, saying he needs a microfusion chamber and asking if a trade could be made. Seven asks why he's in the nebula, and he says he's also crossing it. She asks if he has any liquid helium, and he says he does. He says he has an ample supply, which when I first heard it, I thought he said he had an apple supply. <laughs> and I was like, what? Damn, he's got fresh apples in the nebula? That's crazy. There's apples in that nebula. <laughs> uh, Seven beams him directly to the cargo bay. In the cargo bay, Tragis comments on Seven's strange name and says... Uh, and she says it's her Borg destination, which he seems to be unfamiliar with. He looks almost exactly like Ron Perlman in the 1980s Beauty and the Beast show, if you've ever seen it. Like, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, I looked at pictures of them and, like, compared them back and forth. I'm like, he's just got, like, a few stripes on his face. It's like the same mm-hmm. character. It's wild. I actually think uh, Ron Perlman in that actually looks like Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene. you're not wrong i mean they probably had a a similar amount of work at this point yeah that face is ricked yeah you know that was uh also uh written by george rr martin really yeah also george rr martin's in the first episode of beauty and the beast Mm -hmm. yeah what yeah uh he's he's like he's a dude on uh on the subway like you can see him you can see him pretty he looks he looks exactly the same this dude has not like changed anything in like 30 years well yeah he was he was born at like 75 years old yeah he was yeah and he's and as has had the same wardrobe ever since but yeah you can clearly see him on the subway in the first episode yeah i mean it makes sense that a guy who was like born an old hobbit decided to become a fantasy writer yeah yeah wonderful um so um Tragis asks Seven if she's alone on the ship, and she tells him that everybody's in stasis and the doctor is in sickbay. Tragis says he's both pilot and crew of his ship, but thankfully he's resistant to the nebula effects. Seven asks him about his technology and how it's faring in the nebula. He says he's already had to rebuild his engine twice. He says he's surprised another ship crossed him, as nobody to his knowledge has ever crossed the nebula. Seven says that it's not a choice, but a necessity, and Tragis says he's trying to be the first to cross the nebula. He's tried five times and failed, but is confident that he will make it and be the first of his kind to see what's on the other side, although Seven says it's nothing remarkable. (laughs) Tragis now asks how she's handling the loneliness. She asks what he means, and he says that no matter what she does, she's all alone there, which comes off super rapey. Yeah. And we're going to... Kitty cat. You want out? Sorry. We're going to let Zebra out. Zebra. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, little baby. Hey, little cat. Hey, what's going on? Don't do that. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't think my cat cares, but I don't like you. Yeah. (laughs) There she goes. Resume. Computer. Resume. Delete log. <laughs> Flush. <laughs> Flush. <laughs> um, so, Tragis, ding, dang, dong, boop-a-doot-doo, um, says he's tried five times. Tragic now asks how Seven is dealing with the loneliness. 
She asks what he means, and he says no matter what she does, she's all alone there, which comes off very rapey. Yes. Seven has uh, hands him the microfusion chamber. He says he heard the drones can't stand being alone, that they're too used to being part of the collective, revealing that he was lying about his knowledge of the Borg. Mm. He says that he has no grudge with the Borg. Seven tells him to leave. He asks, or sorry, he says he thought he, uh, they could keep each other company, but she refuses. Obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. That. Um, <laughs> that sloppy shit. Getting sloppy with seven. Seven to 69. <laughs> um, so he asks what would happen if he wanted to stay longer. And she puts a phaser to his face and says he will not be accommodated in a total boss bitch move. Oh, yeah. She's, like, not having any of it. She's like, yeah. I am not even going to uh, pretend. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, here's a gun. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> um, as they walk through the hall, he says there's no need to do this and that the loneliness is making her paranoid. She tells him to shut up, but she hears Tom Paris calling for help and turns around and sees that she has lost Taurus. Charis? Charis, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, when she turns back, uh, he's gone. Um, she runs after him and sees him running behind a wall. She pages the doctor to tell him there's an intruder aboard. <laughs> In sickbay, the doctor says he must have a cloaking device as there are no signs of an alien life form on the ship. The doctor says he still can't leave sickbay, so Seven will have to arm herself and track him down. The computer tries to issue a warning but it's distorted, and since it's Majel Barrett's voice, it sounds exactly like Luxana Troy with a dick in her mouth. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. Um, the doctor says it sounds like the computer needs a stimulant, but I think it needs to make that dick come. <laughs> Seven says she has to get to her duties, and the doctor agrees, but tells her... She needs to keep an eye out for the intruder. He asks her if she is frightened, and she responds, I am Borg. Does Seven of Nine poop? I mean, uh, by the looks of her cat suit, no. Because yeah, the how, cat- do you, how do you like get out of that to take a poop? Yeah, the she cat... She can't ever take that off. No, the cat suit... Yeah, I it's feel like stapled like, to her body. <laughs> it's not made for ease of access of any no. kind. But yeah, because it and and I feel like that's kind of like the way it was designed to like because obviously like, you know, human garments have to have, you know, ease of access to or they have to function- make sense. functionality. Yeah. And like hers doesn't have any sort of functionality. No, it's you know as you know as we were talking you know uh, no, actually, while watching it, it does have a functionality. It's a sixty percent increase in ratings after season three. <laughs> yeah, like but like as for like her comfort and uh, there it's non-existent because as we you know we were talking when we were watching the episode like oh yeah she just has like high oh so high. <laughs> walking through the hallways ne- next point here it seems as though seven of nine's uniform has high heels sewn into it. Mm-hmm. Like, they're part of the uniform. Like, this is a Borg who's, yeah. like, you know, a robot who, mm-hmm. s- for some reason, needs to be walking on, like, the fucking, the, the, like, the, the balls of her feet. Why? Mm-hmm. 
I don't understand that at all. Yeah. Other than that, you know, it makes her butt pop out more. <laughs> oh, I do understand it. 60% increase in ratings after season three. Yes. Yeah, like that. Yeah, that that's just totally bizarre. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you were to if you were to have that on a working spaceship, you would just be completely uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> Everyone would be like, are you sure you don't want like one of the regular units? They're very comfortable yeah, yeah. and uh, you, you don't have to walk in high heels. Like yeah. you get these cool boots. Oh, and if you need to go to the bathroom, it's actually very easy. <laughs> right. You can, you can actually just pull down your pants and take a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have to shit yourself and like stand in the sonic shower for five minutes yeah because like uh on on set like it took uh J- if jerry ryan needed to go to the bathroom it took 20 minutes to get out to to uh allow her to because she was so into it so like if she, if they needed to if she needed to go to the bathroom like uh the whole production would have to come to a halt and they would have to undo this undo this <laughs> undo this uh the the sewing and then allow her to the ability to go to the bathroom you you and I both know there is a video out there of Jerry Ryan accidentally making a mess <laughs> in the seven of nine suit, and you know that it is worth at least a million dollars to one person out there. I'm sure it's in Rick Berman's personal collection. <laughs> it is it is not it is not it, that's, it, a, that's the, the fucking the, the the back screen to his phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is. It is just something he probably has, like a like a private movie viewing room. That's like a like a small movie theater inside of his mm. inside of his house that just plays that on a constant loop. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I'm I, I I really feel sorry for her that she had to go through that. Uh, yeah, like that because like yeah, like like she had to have oxygen on set to uh, to be able to breathe. Mm-hmm. Like uh, because it was so tight and form fitting, also she couldn't eat because it would the food a lump would appear. Jesus Christ! That's how tight it was. It's like, like it's it doesn't make any sense. Besides, so, like you know, this sounds horrible, but I have a counterpoint for you. Sixty hmm. percent increase in ratings after <laughs> <laughs> here comes the money. Yeah, like Rick Berman's just seeing like just like dollar signs just appear and just. <laughs> Yeah. Um so then, ooh, I got the I got the poop <laughs> video that <laughs> just uh Rick Berman's really the the Chuck Berry of Star Trek. Yeah. So, hey, that's a fart right there. <laughs> so 709 is carrying a phaser rifle when suddenly she hears a noise behind her and asks who's there. It appears to be nobody, but suddenly she hears the whispers of Neelix saying he's dying. Which I actually had to pause the first time so I could come. Yeah. Um, and Janeway saying the lives of the crew are in Seven's hands. She hears Tom Paris again, because why not? And then a sea of voices rises up calling for help. Seven is obviously going bananas here. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, she enters the stasis chamber and the whispers stop. She checks everybody's condition and they all seem to be fine. <clears throat> she wanders back into the hallway and suddenly the voice of Tragis starts paging her mocking her and telling her that the ship's sensors can't detect him, so she'll have to ask to find him. He jibes her, asking her what would happen if the structural integrity around the warp coils collapsed, which gets her running to engineering. When she gets there, she is again greeted by nothing. Charis says he couldn't bring himself to destroy the ship and hopes she's not afraid of the dark, right as the lights power down. She asks where he is, and he says he's on the bridge, and he can do just about anything with the ship from there. 
Suddenly, she sees Tom Paris and Ensign Harry Kim on the second floor of engineering calling for help. She starts immediately after. When she gets to them, she sees two burning corpses, which is pretty metal. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. They just like they just like lay there and they're <laughs> sick of the flames. Uh, Seven pages tragic and asks him if he's there. He says he is, and she says she's enjoying the game and asks what's next. He asks her to imagine what would happen if a photon torpedo was armed but not ejected. And she says she'd have to get there immediately. And he retorts by saying, even by then, she might be too late. She asks to play another game. She asks what might happen if the oxygen levels on the bridge were depleted. And Tragis begins gasping for air as she seals the bridge with a level three force field. Got him. Got him, bitch. Seven pages the doctor and says she's gotten the intruder subdued. He's walking through the hallways, uh, having given his, uh, having gotten his hollow emitter back online. The doctor says he'll meet her in engineering as he has interesting news about the neural gel packs. Seven picks up her rifle and sighs just as the door opens. It's tragic. And he says, in your heart, you knew you'd see me again. <laughs> she shoots him, but it does nothing. He says she's too weak to defeat him. He tells her she's afraid because she knows what she is. She tells him to stop, but he persists, saying she thought she could be alone and be human, but it's impossible. 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 That's a... Ooh, that's a good name for a fucking show. Impossible? That is actually pretty great. Yeah. Oh, man. Impossible. Well... Your dreams can come true at the impossible. (laughs) (laughs) It's like an, a hospital on the edge of tomorrow. I mean, th- we're basically writing Dark Place again, right? Yeah, I guess yeah, we are writing Dark Place. Uh, yeah. Dark Place, Dark Place. It's, it's, it, that's fair. It's a perfect show. It yeah. is, in, in my opinion, I think maybe the only perfect sitcom ever made. Yeah, I can like, see that. Every episode is perfect, mm-hmm. and it never outstayed its welcome. <laughs> it's, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Love it. Um, so... Um, Charles continues saying she thought she could be alone and be human but it's impossible because she's Borg that's what she was meant to be mm. he tells her she's all alone now weak and pathetic just then the doctor appears asking Seven who she's even talking to uh, shit oh, uh, Seven asks where he went and the doctor assures her that they are alone and always have been He tells her that she was hallucinating. She repeats what she saw and heard, and the doctor says it was just all an illusion. When he tested the gel packs, he found that they were causing degradation in the synaptic relays. And it's likely that Seven's implants and sensory nodes are similarly affected. She insists they seemed real. And the doctor says that's what makes them so frightening. (laughs) Seven reveals that when she was a drone, she once got separated from the collective for several hours and she panicked and she's feeling that way now. The doctor says they should go to sickbay, but right then a computer explodes and he glitches out saying the EPS conduits are overloaded. The doctor has tied uh, his emergency or sorry, his EMH um, into the conduits 
and is concerned about this. The doctor's program begins to fade and tells her she needs to repair the EPS conduits. She says she cannot function alone as the doctor disappears. Seven yells after him, but it's too late. No. Sometime later, Seven is in the telemetry room, asking the computer how long until they're out of the nebula. Says it's just 17 hours, but a hallucination of a burnt-to-a-crisp Ensign Harry Kim keeps trying to discourage her. She tells him to go away, and he says she can't shut him out. The computer warns her the propulsion system is failing. She walks down the hallway, and the music here is so fucking cool. It's like this mm-hmm. intense music, but like with a chorus of like zombie like groans, like uh, mm-hmm. in the background. It's like super atmospheric, super creepy, mm-hmm. really great. A Borg appears in front of her and tells her she is alone and human and weak. She runs away, but another Borg stops her, telling her she cannot and will not survive without the collective. She tells him she will become stronger and more resilient on her own. She says she's an individual and will survive on her own. But it insists she is weak and she will die alone right as she gets on the turbo lift. This was a sick scene. I really Oh, liked. yeah. And that's a, uh, I can see that, like a Borg saying that to me. You will die alone. Yeah, I can. I mean, my therapist has said that. To yeah. Me. <laughs> right before they fire you as a client. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> like, you will die alone. Get out of my office. Yeah, we're done here. Um, so uh, she gets on the turbo lift. On the turbo lift, Tragis reappears and tells Seven that he can help her. The turbo lift opens, and it's the interior of a Borg cube, the big, oh, long shit. Borg hallway. Uh, Tragis says it's where she belongs, and if she walks through the door, she'll never be alone again. You are not alone. She... I am here with you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so uh, she tells him it's not real. And the Borg tell her that resistance is futile in the cool Borg voice. Mm -hmm. She takes the lift to the bridge. On the bridge, some burned-up version of the crew tells Seven that they never wanted her on the ship in the first place and that she can't survive alone. Mm -hmm. Again, the computer says the propulsion system is failing in the dicksucker voice. The rest of the bridge (laughs) crew takes bets on whether or not she'll make it. The propulsion systems finally fail as the crew closes in around her telling her that if she fails, she'll die. Janeway says that if Seven takes power from the stasis systems, she could get the power back online for the uh, propulsion, but that would mean sacrificing some of the crew. Tuvok says that wouldn't bother her, and Janeway says she's already killed millions, so it wouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. This is brutal. I kind of love this part. This is crazy. Uh, Seven disconnects some people and uh, from the stasis and rushes to the chamber with the Bizarro Bridge crew in tow. Yeah, they're like the crew from, like, Event Horizon. <laughs> Basically, yeah. They're all burnt to a crisp and shit. Yeah. Um, evil, evil from Hell Dimensions. Yeah. Uh, in the stasis chamber, Tom Paris is writhing, but the engines are back online with 11 minutes left to go through the nebula. Janeway tells Seven... They won't survive that long, and everything is in her hands now. Seven reroutes all life support to the stasis pods. As the air drains, she falls to the ground, saying, I am seven of nine. I am alone, but I will adapt. Mm -hmm. She passes out. 
Hell yeah. She awakes to the doctor, Janeway, and Chakotay hovering over her. Yeah. I had the weirdest dream, and you were there. <laughs> and you were there. <laughs> are we Are we still in St. Elsewhere Hospital? <laughs> um... I mean, she's you're in Kansas. She's kind of an autistic kid, so that makes sense. Mm. Oh, it was all, yeah, it was all in like a snow globe or a Borg cube. Ooh, like a, she has a Borg a, snow globe. A Borg <laughs> snow globe. No, damn, that would be a good thing. It's a snow, a snow, a cube. <laughs> you struggled with that one. I did. A snow. It doesn't roll off the tongue like snow globe. Cube. <laughs> snow cube. Snow cube. Snow cube. Snow cube. Snow cube. Uh, so Janeway says they made it through the nebula, but almost lost seven. When they finally made it through, the doctor came back online and found seven passed out, initiated life support, and woke the crew. Janeway says when she's rested, she'd like to hear about it. The doctor tells seven he's proud of her. She performed admirably. Mm-hmm. Next, we're in the mess hall. Tom Paris says Neelix's soup is great and asks what's in it. But Neelix says he's never revealed it to anybody. Mm-hmm. What do you think's in a soup? Oh, God. I can only imagine. I mean, well, I'm going to guess like at least like there's a bunch of unintentional ingredients like his hair. <laughs> like just me, just because he has all that weird hair on his chin and yeah. just hanging precariously off that little gross ponytail you know what you should shave your facial hair into like the neelix style oh my god i could you totally could you have plenty (laughs) and then i get fired from my job (laughs) yeah (laughs) just get get, just get leered out of in the street and just get pelted with fruit (laughs) like protect (laughs) three-year-olds fuck you (laughs) oh man that could be a halloween costume (laughs) <laughs> be the scariest one yeah just dresses neelix and like <coughs> take around a little doll that just says like i'm three years I old am three years old <laughs> wow uh <laughs> kind of amazing though right yeah kind of you know i gotta be you gotta be thinking about it. we we should do uh star trek halloween costume yeah oh, that'd be fun yeah i don't even know who i would be oh i guess Riker caveman i don't have to dress get dressed up for it we just determined this, Pat. <laughs> You're going to be Neelix. Oh, God damn it. You son of a bitch. Don't, All right, I'll be Neelix. You can't back out of this. We already came up. This is the only reason we're doing it is because you're Neelix. Yeah. And I mean, and, and Neelix's uh, clothes are quark light. Honestly, it would be hilarious if uh, you were Neelix and I went as Kess. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awkward for everybody. Yes. And I would love it. Um, <laughs> So I think it's come. I think his soup has come. Definitely come. Oh yeah, it's 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 some sort of nasty ass shit. And like the fact that he doesn't reveal the ingredients like worries me. Like yeah, it would be something. Be it, it would be something I would just like grab him by the collar. And, like what the fuck is in it, man? Are you poison me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is my stomach pregnant now? Yeah. What the fuck, man? <laughs> uh, so Seven walks over to their table and asks to join them. Uh, and they say, "Sit on down." Uh, she said she feels the need for companionship. You know mm. what I mean? Hells yeah. Um, they ask her what being alone with the doctor was like. Paris says they could have died in those units, but Seven dismisses this, as apparently Paris escaped from his pod four different times and they had to put him back. God, I would just give up. Or, like, why not just duct tape him in there? Like, they have to have duct tape. Right. 
Like I would just duct tape him, uh, like just wrap him like a burrito. Or like <laughs> I don't know, put a force field around it. Yeah, yeah, something like, or just put a friggin' lock on it. Like why? Like it's so easy to get out of. You think? I don't think they've established they still have locks in the future, have they? No. I can't think of a single time there's actually been a lock. Oh, I mean, they, there's magnetic locks on the. Well, they mentioned lock. They mentioned lock picking in the in the episode we just the uh, lower decks episode we just watched. Like that. Oh well, those are, are Orions, though. Yeah. I mean, like I'm wondering if on, they even have those on Federation ships. Oh yeah, because yeah, I mean they never really lock the friggin' hollow deck when, especially when people are just like having really creepy programs. Yeah. Right. Like, I couldn't imagine having like a creepy program running and just having people walk in. <laughs> That's kind of my thing. So I, yeah, I, can, yeah. I can definitely imagine. I'd be like, the more the merrier. And they'll be like, what mm. the fuck are you doing? Oh, yeah. Do you think like uh, all the all the founding people of the Federation were are, were people that were just like, you know, that wanted to get caught? Just be like, oh. <laughs> Every, yeah. Yeah. All the founders of the Federation. They were all exhibitionists. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like the. That's why we got space travel. That's why we got space travel. That's what Zephram Cochran, <laughs> as they call him, Zephram Cochring. <laughs> um, you know, he. Uh, God, we shouldn't. Oh, that's what we're gonna do. That's where we're gonna three D print oh. Zephram Cochrings. Oh shit! That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> on one side, it'll say like warp speed, and on the other side, it'll say that'll do, pig. <laughs> <laughs> Warning may cause genital defects. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> um, so Ensign Harry Kim asks Paris if he was locked in a dark closet as a child, and he says he just dislikes closed spaces and he doesn't know why. Like, at this point, like, they all keep making fun of him. Like, this is another, like, dunk by da- by uh, harry yeah i love it like, like everyone's shitting on tom paris i bet jerry uh jerry taylor probably l- hated tom paris sounds character. like it yeah because he doesn't he doesn't even like respond to any of the abuse he just like takes it mm-hmm. and what he should have said in that situ- situation where you locked in dark closets as a kid he should have just been like yes <laughs> and just like been stone-faced yeah i mean that, that would have made sense yeah um yeah but uh then final Final line of the episode, Seven postulates, maybe it's because you don't like being alone. Credits roll. Whoa. Credits roll. What do you think of this bad boy? Uh, I liked it a lot. I think it's a, it's a really good episode. Like I said, like I like, uh, I like um, um, uh, Voyager episodes where it does show, like, show the situation that they're in where they have to improvise and adapt and uh, come up with a creative solution for um um uh getting getting like uh, solving the issue so i yeah i i do like i do like i like, like those episodes a lot um i like the that it's you know seven to nine episode um we get to see her uh deal deal with like you know some very existential kind of kind of problems yeah, this has to be one of the first standalone seven episodes. I mean, there was a, a yeah. few in the beginning of season mm-hmm. four, but, you know, this is her first season, and they actually did really front load a lot of seven episodes mm-hmm. in the season, I guess. But, yeah, this is one of the first episodes where it's just just her, basically. Yeah. You know, her and the Doctor, which mm-hmm. is great. And, I mean, she's uh, a Jerry Ryan, really good actress, mm-hmm. really great in this role. Mm-hmm. 
Um, not great in Seven Picard's role, which is weird because it should be the same role. Yeah, but or Dracula three thousand or two thousand. Two thousand. Yeah. yeah, Dracula two thousand. I 000. wish she was in three thousand. You know who's in three thousand mm. is Coolio, the recently deceased, oh, as well rest as in peace. Uh, Tiny Lister, who's in like five movies with Coolio. Oddly enough, mm-hmm. an Enterprise. Yeah. What? Wait, Tiny Lister was in Enterprise. He was in the first episode. Who was he? Uh, the Klingon. The one they're taking back? Mm-hmm. Really? That's Tiny Lister? Mm-hmm. No shit. Yeah. What? <laughs> I had no idea. That's awesome. Yeah. That's fucking way cool. Mm-hmm. I actually kind of love that. Yeah. No, he's great. Yeah. Fifth Element. He's in that. Yeah. That's a good movie. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's in a bunch of stuff. Tiny, if you ever need a, like, a big, scary, angry-looking black dude, Tiny Lister. Oh, yeah. And also just rewatched, uh, what was it? Jackie Brown recently. Jackie Brown's great. That's such a good movie. Honestly, I feel like it's uh, Tarantino's probably most underrated film. It like, is. No one ever really talks about it, but mm-hmm. it's so good. Yeah, like everyone has really good performances, and like it all, and it's not like too overindulgent with like a lot of his like you know typical I mean, it's, Tarantino it's a, things. It is a great homage to black exploitation. Mm-hmm. I've watched a ton of black exploitation. Like it is like Quentin Tarantino obviously loves the genre. Yeah, and tried to like make something. It was its own thing, but also just a a love story to black exploitation, mm-hmm. and it's great. It is it mm-hmm. works perfectly on that. Yeah, the characters are all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, it's a good, it's a great movie. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, just so that's another like you know add to the combo, just mm-hmm. like Blank Man, Master and Commander, Jackie Brown. Love it. <laughs> great, great three pack right there. But yeah, that's uh, I really like this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not one of my favorite episodes of Voyager, yeah. but it is a strong episode. It's one of the strongest seven episodes, I think. Yeah. And there are a lot of good seven episodes. Yeah. Um, but this one's really good. This is like, it's not necessarily a bottle, but it is like very much a actor's acting episode, which is great. And I love that mm-hmm. it gives a lot of breathing room to not only Jerry Ryan, but Robert Picardo. Mm-hmm. Who is maybe my favorite part of Voyager? Oh yeah, he's 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 the best one. Yeah, and I actually missed a line he says in here, but uh, Seven is saying something about like, uh, uh, "Well, why are you complaining?" And he goes, "It comforts me." Yeah, or "Don't worry about it. It comforts me." And I'm <laughs> like, "That actually explains so much about the Doctor, just mm-hmm. like in one line." And it was yeah. beautiful, beautiful writing. Yeah, um, that's what I like about his character is like. He's not actually really annoyed because he does have a genuine desire to help. And he actually has some of the best speeches, I think, for like um, why healthcare needs to just be freely available. Like yep. he's like the most he's like one of the biggest healthcare advocates out of all the doctors, I feel. He's a Bernie bro for sure. Yeah, yeah. He's just like he's you, heard a- it, you heard it here first. The EMH <laughs> is a fucking Bernie bro. Because he he definitely has very he, he they do give him some um, impassioned uh, 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 parts to have impassioned speeches on on why people need healthcare and stuff and like that you know it's very touching to see him love to see it love to see it and love to see it and yeah and there's also other parts though in this episode that I like I like the foreshadowing of what eventually goes wrong with seven you know when like the um, when the the engine room has the fa- false explosion right right like that kind of explains like the the fantasy, the uh, the um, uh, hallucinations that um, Seven of Nines having, like that. You know what would have actually been an amazing twist that could have even taken this episode in an entirely different direction in a way. Mm. I think is if she was hallucinating the Doctor most of the time as well. 
Oh, that yeah. That would be another layer that could have added to the fuckery, I think. Yeah, I actually thought, like, felt that she was, like, probably hallucinating him at that last point. But maybe not. Could have been. Or I would have liked it if, when she wakes up, like, you did it. And it's just, like, um, that's actually also a hallucination of, like, the final moments in her brain. And it just oh, my goes God. Back. That's, so, like, the, the DMT moment yeah. in her, her final <laughs> yeah. thought. It's just, yeah. Oh, and my God. She's at, and, and it just shows her just, like. Just like flatlining, and then like all the all the all the stasis chambers open up, and they're still in the in the nebula. <laughs> <laughs> they're still in the nebula, and it reveals it's a within a Borg cube in a snow globe. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's too many layers. Ooh, yeah, too dark, too dark. Pull it back, pull it back. <laughs> nope, nope, nope. <laughs> we already put it in. We're staying in there till we come. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, that was our episode. Uh, for the week give it a watch you want to choose a random episode let's do it all righty let's uh let's get the random number generator up and choose our next random episode all right right. are you ready yeah so we uh choose a number between 820 because we've uh there's 855 of star trek uh, episodes of star trek released in all we've uh reviewed like you know 35 of them ish Mm -hmm. um and so we will be choosing a number between eight uh, one in 820, and just watching it in the release order that they mm-hmm. released them in. So, first number. Are you ready? Yeah. Here we go. First number, and we're going to choose the third number, by the way. So, go. 280. We're not watching episode 280. Next number. Number 101. Probably mm-hmm. early TNG, late... Uh, T, uh, that's probably TAS. So not mm. that one either. Last number and the one we're watching uh. next week. Take it away. <laughs> oh, 49. Let's take a look. 49. At what Whoa. episode 49 is obviously going to be a TOS thing. Yeah. Hopefully it's a good TOS. It's, it's going to be season two. It looks like season two has some good, good episodes here. Mm-hmm. And there. At least it's not season three. Um, <laughs> It's going to be episode 22, Mm. Return to Tomorrow, the very best TOS episode, in my opinion. Oh, shit. I fucking love this one. This is the one that takes place on, like, Kronos, Mm -hmm. or Kronos, and uh, this is, like, this has the the Bridge to Tomorrow thing. It's Mm. so good. This is, this episode fucks. (laughs) I I watched it a few years ago, and I'm like, Mm -hmm. holy shit, this is, like, a good episode of TOS, and there's... Mm -hmm. In my opinion, like, there's maybe a half dozen episodes of TOS that have actually <coughs> not only aged well, but they're still good. Mm-hmm. This is one of them. Mm. So I'm very much looking forward to this. Yeah, be a good episode. Hell yeah. Uh, I guess with that, that's all the Trek we watched and reviewed for the week. Uh, mm-hmm. Would you like to get in to some subspace transmissions, my friend? Yeah, I can dig it. Let's do it. Subspace transmissions. Subspace transmissions. Hey, look at that. We are in subspace transmissions, the part of the show where we scour the internet and find comments about the episodes we watched this week and we read them. So let's start with uh, the episode we watched this week of uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh, season three, episode six. All right, and uh, there, there was nothing. There's no reviews on IMDb or anything like that yet because mm-hmm. it was such a new episode. So, I just pulled some stuff from Reddit here. All right, are you ready? Yeah. All right. Fido says yesterday, 
given the importance of the station and the wormhole even after the war, it's honestly a bit surprising DS9 isn't getting replaced by a major United Federation of Planets starbase. The constant fuckery with the systems and its limited size and still limited defense potential probably should have been dealt with at some point. Mm. Which is actually a pretty good point, I think. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm surprised it's still, um, um, uh, you know, Terrac Noir. Like, or Terrac Noir. Like, it's... It should be mm-hmm. a United Federation of Planets. Because, I mean, a bunch of shit has happened already. Like, the station's almost blown itself up yeah. because of the security protocols with Ducat and all that shit. And, like, and they show in uh, what we left behind, like, Kira was wearing, like, um, the Starfleet uh, uh, uniform. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. like, yeah. Um, so, like, uh, so it's not a Bajoran station anymore, it seems. Yeah, like... Well, uh, no, but at the same time, I think the Bajorans entered Starfleet. Or yeah. They entered the yeah, UFP. It, yeah, 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 yeah. So I can see, like, but maybe, like, you know, there is some, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how, like, uh, you want to keep, like, the original architecture of some of a certain place when it gets... <laughs> so, like, you know, and plus, like, maybe there is, like, uh, maybe there's looking at the at the amount of labor that it would take to dismantle true, uh, true. So, uh, Deep Space Nine. So here's a pretty good response to this um, from uh, Shinda Swinth. I don't know. Um, they say uh, in response to this, probably has something to do with the Bajorans. DS9 is basically a holy site for them now because of Cisco and the wormhole, regardless of what it was used for during the occupation. Yeah. Which is actually a pretty good point. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Just like, you know. They want it to be just the same for him. Yeah, it's like almost, yeah, it is sort of like, a, you know, like an ancient. Now it's like, yeah, just like a a holy uh, visiting a place like a Mecca. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, you would want to, like, maintain the original structure. I agree. I agree. Uh, next, we have a comment on this episode from Madonka Donk 2. <laughs> which is actually you know this is going to be a good one. Oh, yeah. So, they say yesterday... Uh, they have been drip feeding us information about Tendi's past, and I just want more. It paints a pretty frightening image from being mistress of the winter constellation to what she did to the Romulans to this episode. If you remember, in I think season one, she mm-hmm. beat up a bunch of Romulans, mm-hmm. and she wasn't sure how, but mm-hmm. I guess this explains it. Yeah. Or she she pretended like she was surprised. Mm-hmm. So you gotta wonder how high on the syndicate are the Tendi family. There are so many angles this could go from here. Bullet point. Tendi's family somehow pulling her back in, and it's up to the Lower Decks crew to get her back before she does something she'll regret. Bullet point. The Cerritos being taken over by Orion Pirates and Tendi being the one leading the charge against them. Bullet point. Actually, you know what? Uh, Pirates taking over and that whole, like, thing Mm -hmm. would have worked so much better on Lower Decks than it did on Strange New Worlds. Yeah. That was, like, one of my least favorite B-plots on anything <laughs> they did on that season. Yeah. Um, yeah, like, pirates are a little, like, overboard. Oh, look at look at you with your jokes! Uh, so, yeah, like, uh, yeah, it does seem a little silly, but I, I do, I, like, I do like the Orions a lot. Like, yeah, they are. One, I would actually really like them, and I think Lower Decks is the perfect place to do this, to actually address why Orions also have such a thorough history of sex work mm. because i mean orion's like you know the green prostitutes like they're an original mm. part of mm. star trek yeah, yeah. so all right so continuing on with madonka donk 2's comment 
bullet point. Section 31 comes back and tries to recruit Tindy, which would actually be a pretty cool plot line. Yeah. But, but also, like, I like like the less Section 31 for me, though, is better. Yeah. When I come to start. Like, I, I, we don't need that CIA in DS9 there. DS9 did it really well. They did. DS9 they did. did it really well, and I wish they did it like that, not like an action movie like Discovery. And they were like, fuck you, Sloan. Yeah. Like, we're just going to go inside your dying brain. Yeah, that was Piece rad, of shit. Honestly. That was sick <laughs> as fuck. Uh, all right, last bullet point. A fight for some reason between Tendi and Mariner. Who is the bigger ass kicker? I hate mm. the end of that. Comment. Yeah, not that one. Yeah, yeah, I would like definitely like. Yeah, I think the most likely one is uh, Tendi's family coming to. Yeah, I think that could be a fun plot line. That that would be the best one, just Pro- because probably. like that would that that would have like some sort of a emotional charge and her having to choose between you know family and the Federation. Mm-hmm. Next, we have a comment from Pink Floyd Ian. One day ago, he says, uh, Favorite part of the whole episode is the Boimler not giving a single flying shit about his giant bio-latinum. Adds fuel to the fire of the last 20-plus worth years <laughs> uh, worth of internet arguments over whether the Federation truly is beyond caring about currency mm-hmm. in any form. Yeah. You can see that it's, it's basically monopoly money to him. Yeah, it's like what it's like what what the fuck would I do with that? Buy mm-hmm. Ferengi goods? Like Yeah. That's why I liked it um in DS9 when um uh uh Rom uh just gives away all of his money yeah. to the Bajoran war orphans and um That's sick as fuck. Cuz Rom is the biggest dick motherfucker. Yeah, he fucking rules and yeah. like uh and yeah and, and um and yeah, because at that point, like he's you know he's kind of like becoming part of the Federation himself as like an engineer and, and like and really, as much he's becoming a unionist and a socialist. Yeah, and, and he's like realizing like I don't need money, <laughs> you know. And that's the thing that like, none of them need money. Like, no, it's post scarcity. Yeah, yeah, and it's like and yeah, there's no 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 drive. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. I'd give up. Giving up rules, <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, "Can you? How long can you put me in stasis? And can you like do a stasis, but with weed? Like, <laughs> yeah. Just hook it up so like that whole glass chamber is just filling just up with smoke. Fu- fucking constantly fish bowling while I do nothing. <laughs> so um, next, we got a comment from Zakalwin. Uh, back and forth between him and another person. He says, "One day ago, similarly." It put the can. Uh, it put to canon some of the fan theories about how Quark is able to make any money from drinks when there's a free replimat on the promenade. His replicators being of higher quality slash specialized, and or his recipes being intellectual property, both help explain how the scarcity existed. And the dub huh, says right after that, intellect. No, different voice. The intellectual property. And wasn't it stated the replicators don't actually replicate alcohol? I could swear it was mentioned by someone complaining about it in Tin Forward. And Zakalwen uh, responds, They can make alcohol, but by default, Federation drinks have ethanol replaced with synthahol. By the description on screen, they taste mostly the same, but they don't get you drunk. What would be the point? Right <laughs> in the TMG episode where they picked up some pre-technology Irish colonists, one of them asked Worf if the replicator can make proper drinks. Worf shows them that it can. 
Mm-hmm. I always kind of saw like you know the 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 quark difference was that the cocktails were being mixed by hand. True. And like and and that kind of was a bartender, an yeah, actual bartender. That kind of harkens to like how you know like they have the replicators, but you know you know and the but it does show like you know like uh some captains like uh you know Cisco and and Pike they enjoy cooking. Oh, and and fucking like um. Uh, Papa Cisco is mm-hmm. fun. he he won't eat from a replicator. Yeah, he won't eat from a replicator, mm-hmm. and so there is like, so there is like that like uh, that sort of like you know how you know some people only listen to music on you know I mean, on vinyl. Some, yeah, people who don't own microwaves. I didn't yeah. own a microwave for years. Mm-hmm. I hated it. Yeah, and so yeah, there there is like that 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 appeal to have like a um a drink mixed in front of you or like. Or like a, something that doesn't come from a replicator, and I feel that kind of, that's what fills the need. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. All right. Next, we get a comment from uh, Substandard Gaussian. One day ago, it says, uh, "This is the lower deck special. At this point, make everything seem awful, but then Uno reverse it by the end." Jennifer's friends were so ludicrously insufferable, I thought we were headed towards a Mariner once out of the relationship because Jennifer is also a vacuous situation, but it turns out they might be, well, I don't know if healthy is the right word, but at least they're compatible. It's weird how warm and fuzzy that resolution made me, and I didn't even get stunned. I just want Mariner to be able to have healthy relationships, I guess. I should have known that would still involve phasering people. If they're still together in ten years, they will be doing crime play in the holodeck with the safeties off. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You're, ca- you're caring too much about a fictional cartoon <laughs> character. <laughs> Stop worrying about their relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that's all the comments we had on this Lower Decks for the week. Uh, all right, next we have reviews of the uh, Voyager episode we watched. Uh, do we want to go bottom to top or top to bottom? Oof. Dealer's choice. Dealer's choice. All right, we're going to go bottom to top because I'm going to be honest, this one had no bad reviews. Oh, yeah. No I one disliked this. The lowest review it had was a 7 out of 10. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it was a good episode. It I mean, was definitely. Yeah. I mean, the only problems i personally had with it was just like the there's plot holes for sure yeah there's 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 some like you know little plot holes but you know Mm. like plot holes only really like annoy me if like the content is also just bad yeah and uh but if it's like a plot hole that serves a better story like i'm just like if if it's in commission of good storytelling yeah i don't mind whatever they're doing yeah It's, it's just like you know wrestling or any type of storytelling it's like if you do something stupid Mm-hmm. I will criticize it unless it's in commission of good storytelling and mm-hmm. the story could not be told quite as well without that decision made. Yeah. And so like, you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you kind of see it and then you just like, let it just pass it over you because you know, it's yeah. like you are interested. In- I mean, it, it's not like discovery where, mm-hmm. I mean, the plot holes are season long arc <laughs> plot holes yeah. and make it. So the resolution of the entire season just doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, see, what, season two with the suit? Oh, the suit. Don't yeah. don't even talk about the fucking suit. The yeah, red I, angel or whatever. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I That just broke my brain. No, like, by the last two I episodes, am, I was like, what? Yeah. So it's her? Yeah. I, you know, if people can offer me an explanation, that's good. 
I would be, I'd be. Oh, they'll to they'll it. try. I've yeah. I've looked it up. Just like the second season of Picard, like once that ended, I was like, "Am I stupid? Did I just <laughs> yeah. not get it?" And so I, I I scoured online, and everyone's like, "No, this fucking sucks." I'm like, "Thank God, yeah, yeah. I'm not an idiot. The writers are." <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, we'll start with the the low end here. Seven. So, uh, Plankton Rules says on the 23rd of February, 2015. Send everybody home this week and let Jerry Ryan do the show. He says, yeah. as Voyager near some nebula, it begins exer- uh, exerting a weird effect on everyone except Seven of Nine and the Doctor. However, to go around it would add a year to their trip. So, Captain Goody Goody. <laughs> just, what? <laughs> I, I don't know. Just wanted to see if you were looking. Decides to have everyone placed in stasis while Seven commands the ships with help from the dock. Well, this sounds like an responsibly sane idea. Things don't work out so well. As soon as she begins seeing and hearing things, and she might not be able to do it all by herself. Is this real? Are there aliens on the ship or projecting these weird images? Will they make it through the nebula? Despite being almost a one-woman show, this is a pretty good episode. I particularly liked the conversations between her and the crew during the worst of the hallucinations. They were darkly funny. Worth seeing and unique. And I appreciate the character development in Seven. I would, I would agree with this entirely. Yeah. Much. Yeah. Right yeah. on. Right on. I mean, yeah, like, um, and I was just thought, yeah, thought of like, yeah, like another little pothole. Like, you know, I feel like with, with the stakes being so high, they would have done some sort of projections on how it would affect, um, um, you know, the mechanical and, and computer parts of the ship. True. Because, like, obviously, like, yeah, radiation does affect mechan- uh, 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 computer systems and uh, mechani- mechanical systems just as much as it does However, uh, human flesh. The shields. The shields. The shields. Yeah. I'm led to believe that, like, I mean, the shields and the deflector together can, like, block out anything incoming at the ship no matter what speed yeah, it's and, going and the, and the hull is made to because like like space is all fucking radiation and shit exactly and, and, and so and, and do you think like the the dilithium antimatter matter like reaction do you think that's not radioactive yeah like what yeah I mean, it, it, it's, it's just magic space dust you know? it, it, there is some space magic going on in this episode but it's, it's fine in commission yeah. of the very good storytelling yes so mm-hmm. yeah all right, next we've got um, uh, the VAC installer, probably an HVAC installer. We oh. we we love our licensed HVAC installers and mm-hmm. our licensed forklift operators yeah. on this program. That's the thin, um, I don't know, yellowish line. I'm also a certified welder. Yeah, we don't respect that. Oh, here. damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Take that to another fucking podcast. Son of a bitch. Maybe, maybe the greatest generation will give you the time of the day, but here on Soy Trek, Fuck welders. <laughs> no. You know, I think you I think you fabricated that story. <laughs> Hello. Um oh, what do I do with the, with my thin silver line? I don't know. Thin aluminum line. Thin, aluminum line. <laughs> thin metal line. Yeah. Um so uh the vac installer, uh hopefully licensed, says on December first, twenty twenty one. Handing the keys off to 709. Warning spoilers, 7 out of 10. An episode examining the lovely human emotions of fear and anxiety 
as a crucible to get Seven of Nine to appreciate her crew members aboard Voyager. It was well executed, and Jerry Ryan does an admirable job. I felt the hallucination plot was revealed a bit too quickly and could have been stretched out longer or redesigned in some form to give added tension. Mm. I mean, I guess so, but it was it worked. Like, yeah. the pacing of this episode was solid. I mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, we got um, Beans Legit. Beans Legit. Beans Legit says on February 15th, 2021, uh, episode is an eight. Jerry Wright is a ten. Wowie zowie. <laughs> eight, eight out of ten for the episode. Seven of nine is forced to spend a lot of time alone in order to get the ship through a nebula that was killing everybody else. She must deal with hallucinations and loneliness. All while being a total babe. <laughs> this episode doesn't really advance the overall plot, but definitely enjoyable and worthwhile, in my opinion. Great googly moogly. Mm, yep, that guy is a little too horny for IMDb. Yeah, know. that dude. He needs a uh, he needs a little bath or something. <laughs> yeah, take a cold shower, buddy. Think, <laughs> think about baseball, but don't think about Cisco playing baseball because that's going to get you rock hard. <laughs> Speaking of rock hard, next uh, Spasek says on twenty sixth of March, twenty twenty one. Sometimes you have to roll the hard seven. Gives it a nine out of ten. Warning spoilers. Gotta know how to roll them. Roll, know how to. Got know how to. Call them. <laughs> know how to seven. Know how to nine. <laughs> um, Never count your dice when you're sitting at the table. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sorry. There's a time enough for dealing when it's dealing time. Ooh. There we go. That rhymed. Yeah. All right. Um. So, Spasek says, uh, Since I started watching the series, Tuvok has been my favorite character, and somehow this has become a meat-wide impression. <laughs> uh, I love Vulcans, especially when they are played well, and Kim Ross does a masterful job in the role. Uh, Seven has quickly grown on me. She's like a walking robot who, like Tuvok, doesn't give in to wild emotions. Her scenes are often quite funny, especially when she is taking lessons from the doctor about how to interact with humans. Jerry Ryan has to be given a lot of credit for how much dimension she is able to bring to the role. So, I obviously enjoyed an episode in which Seven becomes the only crew member who has to help navigate Voyager through an especially toxic nebula like Voyager's fan. <laughs> One that will take at least a month to get through. Seven, however, discovers that she is not completely immune to the radiation either, and we see her struggle to keep the crew alive and get Voyager to the other side of the nebula. People who view Seven as nothing but a sexy bombshell clearly underestimate the strength of depth of character. My only complaint is the suit she's asked to wear. It still makes no sense to put her in a skin-tight suit while everyone else is in a regular one simply doesn't fit the Star Trek dynamic. Still, this is easily one of my favorite episodes of season four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that does that, that does make sense. I mean, like, the whole, like, you know, purpose is, like, saying that, you know, to helping to regrow her skin. 
But mm-hmm. why can't she just, if that was true, why can't she just have like the normal Starfleet uniform over top of it? Yeah, it'd be cool too if it like she just like started growing a penis. It's like this is extra skin. It's like the doctor's like, oh yes, this is called foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> just let it happen. <laughs> just, I want to taste it. Give me your sm- smegma of nine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I hate my mind. Um, so next, uh, we get our last two comments, both tens out of tens. Uh, first, we got Nisbeth Nisbeth seventy one says on fourteenth of September twenty twenty ten out of ten. Not a big Voyager fan, but I think the best episodes are either Tuvok or Seven of Nine centered. Jerry Ryan displayed her acting skills in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Good acting. Good acting. Not a 10 out of 10, but still good acting. All right. Last comment. I like how I like how the 10 reviews are the shortest. Yeah, me too. I mean, they don't have much to say. They just liked it. I guess. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Uh, last comment in the uh, subspace transmissions. We have uh, Haldemir92631 says on the 18th of June, 2018, Seven of nine, ten out of ten. I've never been as big of a fan of Voyager as the other Star Treks, but I've always felt that the show got much better starting in season four. This is one of the best episodes that is not a part of this main storyline. I'd say that's pretty fair. It's a good episode. Strong episode, not part of the main storyline, thankfully. Minimal Neelix. Unfortunately, no Neelix dying. However, he's calling out for help in he, yeah. that moment, which made me, you know, rock fucking hard. You just got to mix the audio of that along with the uh, video of him getting uh, choked out by getting T-Buck. choked out. Oh god! Yeah. I mean, don't a man can only get so hard. <laughs> Thankfully, I'm non-binary, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna take my chances. You're just gonna be like, just gonna have that playing. It's like, I wonder non-stop. if I can make my non-binary penis explode. <laughs> precisely uh yeah uh so i guess that's it for subspace transmissions subspace transmissions subspace transmissions end of the show i guess i guess it's time to say goodbye to some people Mm -hmm. not our guests quite yet but maybe let's say goodbye to some people or person who made the ultimate sacrifice Uh for starfleet will the awaiting was in a pinch and somebody had to die but thanks a lot time to beam up to the Shirt in the sky. Today we pay our respects to crewman Compton Street out of Compton, <laughs> who served aboard the USS Enterprise under Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Kirk. Whoa, what? America Kirk. United Snakes of America. Shut up. Crewman Compton was thought to be. Uh, dead first after disappearing before Bones McCoy's eyes on the planet Scalos. He soon returns to the Enterprise with his cellular cellular growth at rapid acceleration. 
After a small injury, the rapid cellular, cellular acceleration causes the injury to immediately infect and kill him. So rest in peace among the stars, Crewman Compton, and thanks for your contribution to the greater good, I guess. <laughs> R.I.P. Bozo. Indeed. And I think that's about it. Where can we find you online, Patrick? Uh I am uh at Potomac Bomb on both uh Twitter and Instagram and yeah, I've been just got Instagram mm-hmm. and been having some good uh interactions with people like uh, people listen to the show like people sending some some unsolicited dick pics yeah getting some dick pics like some uh, unsolicited butthole pics yeah i had a person today ask me if uh uh leave me alone on uh instagram ask me if uh um uh what do you think dental work will be like in the future like what do you think do you, like in the in starfleet do you think it'll be sort of like uh i mean i've discussed this before like i don't think they've ever shown any sort of Starfleet or United Federation of Planets dental work. Everyone seems to have nice teeth though. Yeah. I, I was thinking, I was actually thinking like, I've only seen them actually brush their teeth and discovery like Stamets and Ricky from, um, uh, from, uh, um, uh, my so-called life, uh, before they go to sleep, they're brushing their teeth together. That's true. Uh, but I believe in one of the first episodes of Voyager, it shows Janeway's bathroom and I believe she brushes her teeth briefly. Oh, okay, yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it's in, yeah. I think, the first or second episode. So they do episode. brush their teeth, so there is, like, some sort of, like, te- uh, some sort of, like, dental Yeah, dental why don't regimen. they have, like, a sonic shower for their teeth? Like, a toothbrush mm. is, like, inefficient now. Like, it should be an electric brush, if anything. Like, a, a regular manual toothbrush should not exist 300 years in the future. We should have come no. up with a better way. Yeah. Right? Hmm. There's got to be a better way. Have to be a better way. Like a, a sonic shower for your teeth, straight up. Like why? Yeah. Why? Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Just like yeah. You just like or yeah. Like a little thing. You know. You see those things like those little things that you like like the that like shoot, like shoot your mouth with light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they just have that, and then it does the sonic shower thing where it just cleans your teeth almost instantly, and then you just break it out. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and then like, and if you do need a tooth extraction, they probably just teleport it out or something. Yeah. Exactly. Or they just hit it, or just give you a hypo spray that makes it shrink and disappear and gets absorbed Ooh. by your body. There you go. Thinking we, we the, love thinking, hypo spray. Thinking outside the box. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like Taco Bell. Oh, like um, Taco that's Bell. the bun. Sorry, that's the bun. But yeah, but yeah, I'm on uh, on there as Potomac Bomb. So yeah, if, like message me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, uh, I'm always on it. We've got a we've got a Reddit that's actually yeah. surprisingly successful. We've yeah. we've, We've been encountering a lot of, like, success lately, and I don't know what to do with that because, like, I don't know. I'm not used to it. Yeah, I know. Especially, like, I don't know. Success, like, there's effort to it, but at the same time, it, like, feels effortless because this whole project kind of feels like something I do just to jerk off and have fun anyway. Yeah. It's it's weird. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I, don't know I mean, my life it. has been marked by failures. So Me too. So, <laughs> so like, like. Doing something that I think is cool and like not failing at it immediately, but yeah. instead like immediately having success with it is um disquieting. Yeah. Time to blow it up. <laughs> We're both fired. We're both fired. <laughs> Fuck this. Yeah. I'm gonna throw my computer in the pool right now. I'm gonna throw myself into the ocean. Hell yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, uh, and where you can, can we find you, Britt? Uh, you can find me uh, on our Reddit. Uh, yeah. That's Reddit oh, slash yeah. r slash Soytrek. Uh, where we do a lot of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, our Instagram at Soytrek. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're at Soy Trek on Facebook, on Twitter, mm-hmm. everywhere, basically. So yeah. just, just I mean, literally just Google Soy Trek. But you know what you should really do? You should go to SoyTrek.com and Soy check out Trek. our merch. Dot com, 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 but com. guess what? Our podcast is there, too. It's a landing page for everything except for our social medias. I should probably put our social medias in there. Maybe I will. Yeah. Maybe we'll do that right after this. Who knows? Yeah. We'll see. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. D- hit us up on there. Check out our merch. Buy some stuff from us, you know? Yeah. I'll fucking send you a bunch of free shit with the merch. It'll be fun. Yeah, we just like making stuff and making, yeah. making people laugh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> if, if you like the show, you're probably going to like our merch because yeah. it is the same sordid dog shit sense of humor that we have on this show. And yeah. It's all dumb idiot bullshit, mm-hmm. which is our brand. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Literally our brand. <laughs> anyway, I guess that's it. So, Captain's Log, supplemental. Well, that's all. Looks like it's time for us to warp away. Be well, travel safe. And as Ferengi rule of acquisition number 97 says, enough is never enough. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, thanks for trekking with the soy boys, girls, and other roadly beans. Hang Hang dong and shocker. Soy, 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 soy.